it's Greg Grunberg, uh, Snap Wexley from Heroes, and Commander Finnegan of Yorktown from uh, a little thing called Star Trek. And you are kneeling before the pod. Kneel Before Blog presents... Kneel Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to Kneel Before Pod, the podcast that has a really bad feeling about everything. Star Wars Day is upon us again, so we continue our annual coverage of the Star Wars film series with the much maligned Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. I'm your host, Craig, and to do this, I need to convene an emergency meeting of the Senate. It's going to be riveting. So I've convened this special meeting of the Senate, and we have representatives from all the worlds here. First up, it's the highest concentration of midichlorians I've ever seen in a life form. It's Isaac. Oh, hello. You have a lot of midichlorians. I'm not a midichlorian. A lot of midichlorians to spare. Yeah. <laughs> Second up, the lowest concentration of midichlorians I've ever seen in a life form. It's Angus. <laughs> you assume too much. I do assume too much. Next I up. I was so scared. It's <laughs> that voice you heard could be a secret Sith Lord. There's nothing secret about it. It's Natalie. Hi. <laughs> Next up, he's not been on in a while. We banished him because he was clumsy. It's Andrew. Hello. I assure you, I shall return to redeem myself properly. Just by accident. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's what I do best. <laughs> uh, I mean, otherwise, I'd have to make some effort. Indeed. And last up, she's here because she called a vote of no confidence in my leadership. It's Kat. <laughs> Is oddly accurate. It's oddly accurate. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. It's, it's painfully upsetting because it's true. <laughs> okay, so we're here to talk Phantom Menace, but to stave off the horror of talking Phantom Menace just a little bit longer, we'll go into our celebrated feature. So I will use the force to select the first person to go. Kat, do you want to give us your meal before? My meal before. So I just spent the majority of yesterday catching up with uh, my hero on Crunchyroll. So for those of you who don't partake in anime, My Hero Academia is one of the most popular anime right now. It's a superhero anime. It's really subversive. It does follow the kind of tropes of superhero things, but sometimes where you think you know where it's going, it doesn't go there. It always seems to find a fresh way to look at things. And yeah, I think they had to halt production on season four because of things and stuff that I will not talk about. Uh, <laughs> And it's just really, really fantastic, and I wholeheartedly recommend, if you haven't seen it, do. And if you have seen it, but you're not caught up, do catch up. It's pretty great. Cool. Crunchyroll is free, as long as you're happy to put up with adverts, is that right? Pretty much, yeah. And if you pay for it, it's £5 a month, which isn't a lot for an anime nerd like myself. Cool. That's good. Andrew, what's your nail before? Okay, I am kneeling before a movie called Synchronic. So this is one that I saw in March. 
at, at Frightfest, which is a horror movie festival in Glasgow, and one of the final festivals of this year that actually managed to go ahead before the aforementioned things and stuff of which we will not speak. So this movie is about a pair of New Orleans paramedics who stumble upon a surreal other world where there is a pill that allows people to time travel and it involves one of them travelling back to various points in New Orleans past after the teenage daughter of the other goes missing. I appreciate that description makes it sound very very simplistic but it's superbly written, brilliantly acted, it's incredibly subtle in the themes that it's portraying and also has quite a good cast. The main character is played by Anthony Mackie, who you may know from Marvel movies, and also Jamie Dornan, who you may know from the Fifty Shades of Grey movies, but also actually proves that he is capable of expressing a recognisable human emotion when the material allows him to do so. The plan is for the film to be released sometime this year, again, if such plans actually manage to go ahead, and I would really recommend that everyone looks out for it. Time travelling pills, I'm sold. I'll give it a watch whenever I get the chance, when it inevitably gets dumped on streaming somewhere. Yeah, sounds about right. Okay, Natalie, what's yours? I've just discovered that the Pentagon have confirmed UFOs exist, so I'm kind of kneeling before that, but also what is going on? I haven't seen the videos yet, I've just seen the articles, so I still to read them, but I'm just a bit like, why is no one talking about this? It's basically they've confirmed that they've seen flying objects that they can't identify. Of course they have, it's crazy. On Apple TV, <laughs> we've got like this Sky Star app. There was some sort of thing in the sky today that couldn't be identified. Well, it had like a, well, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, I'm, my mind is blown. <laughs> and how many men in black organisations are there? That's a good question. Anyway, that's where I'm at right now. UFO videos. Check them out. You'll get to see some fast flying dots on the screen. I love it. Angus, what are you kneeling before? I am kneeling before Better Call Saul. I just finished watching the fifth season on Netflix. I was attempting to catch up in time to watch the finale last week when it was released, but we were away on holiday during the first few weeks of it, and so I've just not managed to catch up. Although I have now just finished it, and I think it was a really good season. There's a lot of debate online about whether or not Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad or not and I don't know if I can decide on that at the moment I think I'm still in the Breaking Bad camp but uh, there were some really good episodes this season I don't want to spoil too much but there's one kind of later on in the season that I really enjoy so yeah I've really been enjoying that recently is it finished for good yet or I don't think so because it hasn't kind of linked up to the beginning of Breaking Bad I was kind of on edge, feeling quite tense about some of the characters who, obviously it's a prequel, so one of the criticisms against it is that you know where some of these characters are going to end up, but then you don't know where some of the others are going to end up. So yeah, there was some really pretty tense moments for characters who may not appear in Breaking Bad, and so you kind of always on the edge of your seat thinking what is going to happen next. Cool. Check it out if you're into it. I didn't like Saul in Breaking Bad, so I've never watched this. Oh, he was one of my favourite characters. (laughs) He was my, I think, my least favourite. But there we go. Isaac, what was your kneel before? So I'm kneeling before Ubisoft are doing a very unorthodox game reveal method right now, which is they're live streaming the artist paints the cover art for the game in real time. So it started 8 a.m.-ish American time. It started for us about half past 12, and it's still going. I've got it like half on my screen 
currently. And essentially, it's been on all day. It's just someone slowly painting a video game cover. And it's the most fascinating thing I've seen in ages. <laughs> you see, it's kind of revealed now. It's like Vikings, if anyone's interested. They draw like an icy sort of fjord and they go, okay, we'll leave that there for a bit. And then they move over and then they do like a castle. And it's like, it could be maybe medieval, we don't know. And then they like went over to that thing and they kept not putting in the details that confirmed it. And everyone on the comments is going crazy just for like five minutes. Cause like, oh, is this, is it, is it Japan? Is it this or whatever? And so we're watching that basically all day. And it's like, yeah, it's the most fascinating equivalent to E3 is just, here's probably going to be eight, nine hours of someone drawing a game cover. So that's been my deal before for the moment because I've never been this entertained by <laughs> essentially three movies worth of screen time. I'm guessing there'll be a time lapse of it by the time this podcast goes live so that I can just link to it. Yeah, probably. Like in like, it'll probably be like 12 minutes, like yeah. slamming it all together. <laughs> cool. So my deal before is somewhat related to this topic. They have revealed that they are releasing a remastered, updated version of Star Wars Episode One Racer on the PS4, and I think the Xbox One as well, but I don't really care about that. And it comes out in like a couple of weeks, so I love that game when I had it on the N64, so I can't wait to play it again and see what they've done to it. Fun times. Pod racing. One of the good things that came out of this movie. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it again. I'm going to buy it the day it comes out. And play it maybe when I'm supposed to be working. Who knows? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Floating it. Okay, let's move on to Rise Against. Kat, you were up first last time, so go first this time. Cool. So a bunch of theatres have been releasing filmed versions of archive performances. And the last couple of weeks I've been watching, over the weekend, Andrew Lloyd Webber screens one of his shows on his YouTube channel called The Shows Must Go On. And they're completely free. They're available from like Friday to Sunday evening. And last week I watched the sequel to The Phantom of the Opera called Love Never Dies, which I had heard really good things about. So I was like, okay, let's find out what happens to everybody after the ending of The Phantom of the Opera, because I loved that show slash that movie. I know it's controversial. Don't at me. (laughs) Anyway, and so I watched the sequel and it's not great. It's just not great. It's kind of boring. The songs are not memorable on any level. I think there's one song I vaguely remember the melody of, and then everything else has just evaporated from my brain. Nothing is like as earwormy and catchy as the original Phantom musical. And to anyone who's seen Phantom of the Opera, those things stay with you. I mean, hell, Cats is memorable. As much as it's awful, all of those songs are earworms and they stay with you. But Love Never Dies just kind of fizzles and it ends in a really blah way. It's like a tired kind of like oh like well we gotta sort of like hurry up and get these characters from a to b and there is a scene in the phantom of the opera the well the first scene actually that takes place far in the future and certain characters are dead and so let's just say that this musical speeds up some people's deaths that i just didn't see the reason for so yeah very much rising against this too bad, I have to say. I had hopes. I didn't have high hopes, but I did have hopes. Yeah, disappointed. Cool. 
So don't watch that, apparently. But do watch live theatre when it appears for free. Yes, yeah. it's really good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, why not? Might as well. Nothing Loads else of opportunities. <laughs> Andrew, what would you like to hate on this week? This one is slightly dated, though I've only recently had the time to properly get caught up with movies that are now available to stream. And one that particularly irked me was Fantasy Island. So this is a horror movie reimagining of an 80s TV series, which involves a group of people winning a contest to travel to this luxurious tropical island, whereupon their deepest desire will be played out for them in a manner which is not immediately made clear to them and yet they have absolutely no qualms turning up anyway. It started off a reasonably interesting, if slightly generic, in the way that several hundred of the horror movies that I've watched do. But as I progressed, it became more and more incoherent, and the fact that it had three separate screenwriters became increasingly apparent as the plot descended into an incoherent mess where various things were slapped together to form something resembling a resolution which completely went against pre-established information and things that had happened so far. And by the end of it, I just wanted it to end because I didn't care anymore. This was another film from Wimhouse, who I have a kind of mixed relationship with. Some of their films that they've come out with I've quite enjoyed. Uh, things like Get Out and Calm and Happy Death Day and most recently The Invisible Man. And I can respect their being able to constantly produce movies on a fraction of the budget that a mainstream Hollywood studio would be able to. But most of the time what they come out with I just find it a little too generic to be that interesting. And Sadly, this was another disappointment. Fair enough. It was one of the last films I saw at the cinema before the cinema faded from existence. And yeah, I agree. Started off okay. I was kind of into it at the beginning and then it went off the rails and I stopped liking it. So yeah, I would agree. Natalie, what are you hating on? Many things, as always, Craig. But the one thing (laughs) that I'm rising against as of right now is articles trying to explain the political layout of Star Wars and how it doesn't make any sense. I'm rising against those articles. Okay, I will need to get one of those articles off you for the show notes. Oh, okay, fine. But, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) We'll probably come on to that later on, maybe. Okay, look. Look Uh, forward to it. Angus. I'm also rising against a Star Wars-related topic. Rise of Skywalker is going to be on Disney Plus for Star <laughs> Wars Day. <laughs> and also some uh, Dark Ray concept art has just come out to give us an example of the kind of cool stuff that could have happened in it, but didn't. Oh. So, uh, yeah, on a Star Wars podcast, I'm rising against Star Wars. Oh. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker specifically. <laughs> Just read the novel and then you'll find a bunch of stuff that wasn't in the film as well. Wait, it's a book? Well, there's a novelisation. They always do novelizations. Yeah. yeah. Before or after yeah. anything happens. Sometimes they come out before, sometimes they come out after. They're usually based on an earlier version of the script, though. Talk about consistent. So you tend to find that sometimes the ending's different in a novelization because they had an earlier script that was changed before hmm. the, the film was released and stuff. But Well, I yeah. will probably never read one of those. Nah, I don't. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The novelization in, in this case has become particularly notorious in that there is a shedload of information and detail included in it that was not imparted in the film. Oh God, maybe so I should read it. So basically, no, you, so basically, yeah, basically, you have to read the book to understand all of the throwaway nonsense that the film crammed in there, and yeah. I expect you to just swallow without complaint. I kind of liked some of the throwaway nonsense. So it's but, kind of uh, a deal. If you if you want to hear what we thought of that, consult our Rise of Skywalker podcast that we've do already it now. done or may already. <laughs> we will do in the future, or have already done. Who knows? Timelines. What are they? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's all a sly plug for that. Yep, Isaac, what's your rise against? Uh, mine's also Star Wars related. Oh my god! <laughs> Mine is that there's pre-production going on in the Mandalorian series three. <laughs> Because I don't think Disney Plus are going to make any other Star Wars shows. I think they'll just keep making The Mandalorian until everyone gets bored and then they sell Star Wars again. <laughs> they were going to do like an Obi-Wan Kenobi thingy and they were going to do at some point doing a Cassian Andor thing. And then they announced this thing called The High Republic set like a thousand years before the Star Wars film started. But, oh no, we have to keep making The Mandalorian because that was kind of popular, even though it was the most mind-numbingly boring thing ever. My Star Wars opinions are my own because I loved Rise of Skywalker. I like the prequels also. I... I I just quite like lightsabers. I want to go to a Star Wars film in kind of the same way that I want to go see a Fast and Furious film. Is like I just want lots of things immediately. Lightsabers are great. Space battles are great. Just lots and lots of stuff. Don't worry about the thingies, like the, the story or whatever. Who cares? <laughs> but they've announced Mandalorian Series 2 might have a Shukatano in it. But I don't want to watch Mandalorian Series 2. Can I just make other things? Is it all this just going to be the boring John Favreau-averse? <laughs> I know, like... Opinions that Craig, did you finish Mandalorian slash did it get any better for you or I, I gave up on episode five or something like that because yeah, I found it pretty dull. So it was yeah. really hard to watch. I don't know. It's getting a lot of positive positivity, but it seems like anything in you know, the Star Wars T V world is going forward. It's just that one show and it's always kind of depressing because it sounded so exciting when they announced Star Wars T V. Everything sounded fun and exciting and Obi-Wan Kenobi was that's fun and exciting and now it's just like eh, we're doing Mandalorian again I suppose because we can film it indoors by, <laughs> a, that, by that big special green screen thing they have but it's not green screen and it's real time special effects or whatever it is I don't know if any of you looked into it but they yeah, have like it's the, pretty cool it's pretty cool it's very cool yeah I think I enjoyed the Mandalorian from what I remember, there was only one episode that I found a bit challenging because it was really boring. But Baby Yoda's just so bloody cute. I don't know how, like, oh, it's just so cute. That can't be the sign of a good show. It can't be the sign of a good show that's like, oh, yeah, this is like a cute version of a character we already know. Oh, was, I know, but I didn't friends think... with another character we already know because what's the difference between Mandalorian and Boba Fett? Other than they fly different ships. Honestly, one's one green first... and one isn't green. When I first saw the memes of Baby Yoda, I was like, right, there's no way he's actually that cute. And then you're watching it and you're like, holy shit, he's actually so cute. And it might not even be Yoda. Everyone calls it Baby Yoda. Because no one knows what it is. It's officially known as the child. I yeah, hope it's, it's not like, Yoda. Yaddle. Maybe it's his parents or something. I hope it's not Yoda. Both, you know. It's both of Yoda's parents. <laughs> and his grandparents at the same time. Whoa, trippy. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> let's not get into a Mandalorian podcast. That's Mando. something that I actively tried to avoid. Mando! <laughs> My Rise Against is not Star Wars related, Boom. but 
Hey. Yeah, no. Sorry to buck the trend, guys. But they're doing a sequel to a horror film I didn't like called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I'm not, I don't know why there can be a sequel to this. The first one was pretty cut and dry. I think it did end on the sort of, oh, there might be more of this. No, but other than that, I don't want it. It was popular. Well, it made money. I don't know if it's popular, but it made money, so we're getting another one. I've never heard of it. Uh, don't. I'll put the trailer in the show notes for the first one, and then you can watch the trailer. I'm was sure. that the one where the poster was a scarecrow with a hole punch through its stomach or something? Possibly. I can't remember. Yeah, and was actually scarier than anything in the film itself. <laughs> there you go. So, that's it. Nail Before Rise Again. So we made it through. Well done, guys. Some Yay! recommendations and anti-recommendations, I guess. Mostly Star Wars related, if you add Well, I think that's a sign of what's going on with the Star Wars universe. Obviously, there's just too much. It's expanding too quickly and too fast. Yes, and it's time to get on to our featured topic, where we talk about how the Star Wars universe started to expand. Well, unless you include the actual expanded universe. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so our featured topic is Phantom Menace. Right, so even though the film is, what, 20 years old? Oh, 21 years old? Something like that. We're going to start off without spoiling it because that's what we do around these parts. So, Kat, what did you think of this film without spoiling it? Do you know what? Controversially, I don't hate it. It's okay. It's kind of boring, really. It drags on a bit. Like, all the individual parts of it, the individual scenes, are just a tad too long that just contribute to a sense of just feeling tired at the end. It's not bad, like, it's okay. It can be funny. I love certain characters who we don't see again, no spoilers, and I think I just kind of don't like little Anakin, and that spoils things a bit because it's his story. Or is it? We'll yeah, generally, that. I don't know, kind of <laughs> average. Three stars, maybe. Huh, generous. Unlike the Empire five-star Attack mm. of the Clones review that constantly gets put up. <laughs> yeah, they're never going to bring that down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Andrew, what's your non-spoiler take on this film? Yeah, I'm actually kind of with Kat on this, actually. Yeah, so when the film was first released and I saw it, I actually kind of liked it. I think it's partly because Star Wars isn't as momentously significant for me as it is for many other people. I enjoy them as films, but they aren't an important aspect of my life. So I was able to just kind of enjoy it as a heavy sci-fi adventure space romp that it was. And I think I think I think I was about 17 when it was released. And I hadn't actually watched it in years. And upon rewatching it for this podcast, yeah, I was, I was kind of like, this is actually really dull. <laughs> in like the story is not nearly nuanced or complex enough to warrant the runtime that exceeds two hours. And it feels like very little that happens in the film is of much consequence. There's just things occurring, and then we move to the next scene where more things happen. And then we just kind of keep going along that until it stumbles to something resembling a conclusion. And that's just not a good way of telling a story. Yeah, you're very right. Or maybe not right. It's all opinion. Who knows? Natalie, what did you think? <laughs> uh, is there a translation for that? I don't speak whatever language that is. What do you want? 
your spoiler-free <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> okay, okay. It's not a great movie, and I don't understand why it's called. I mean, okay, get why it's called. No, that's a. Sp- yeah, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll get into why you think that soon. Angus, All right, cool. What's your spoiler-free take? I saw this when I was thirteen, I think, when it came out, and I was probably the right age to be attempting to enjoy it or telling myself that I enjoyed it and in the intervening years I've not watched it many times probably for good reason watching it again I'd agree that I think it was boring (laughs) the CG that George Lucas waited so long for it to be ready so that he could now tell this trilogy this prequel trilogy I don't think holds up very well a lot of the techniques just look a bit kind of naff really a lot of characters kind of looking off into space when they should be talking to someone and, and kind of looking at a point on maybe an imaginary character's forehead or something. <laughs> There's a couple of good sequences, but otherwise the plot is boring. The characters don't stand out very much. I don't know if there's really a central character. And even though it's supposed to be the beginning of the Skywalker saga, does it really kick things off in style? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Isaac. I just remember when I watched it in the cinema. I was only seven when it came out in the UK. So I was like, much like just a happy kid going to watch the film. It's definitely the weakest of the prequels, I think. I really like Attack I think Attack of the Clones is my favourite of the three. It's a bit slow to get introduced you to the world. And also, I didn't have too much connection to the original trilogy. So, obviously, I knew what they were. I knew, like, Darth Vader and Jedi and Stormtroopers and whatever. But it kind of like, okay, here's the temple here's a republic and there's some robots or whatever trade federation and it just kind of plods along a little bit well i'm not a very big darth maul fan i think well definitely in the, the films i can know he's been made better in expanded material and etc but it's just a it's got two swords on a sword it's not that compelling <laughs> But yeah, it's quite difficult not to zone away from. It's very sort of slow and sluggy. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same as everyone else. I found it kind of dull. It took me three sittings to get through it. Although one of them was because I ran out of time on my lunch break at work. Otherwise it would have been two. But I got about an hour in the first viewing and I was like, that's enough for today. Took some notes, turned it off, went and did something else. But when I saw it when I was younger, I remember really enjoying it when I first went to the cinema to see it which I would have been the right age. And I think as time goes on, you start to wonder, it's like, I don't like this. Is this my fault? You know, <laughs> did, I, did I just not understand the film? Is, am I doing something wrong? And then eventually you're like, no, no, it's just not very good. But on this viewing, there are things about it that I started thinking about while I was watching it that I found quite interesting. It's nothing to do with what's in the film. It's <laughs> more to do related with, things. Yeah, well, yeah. No, no, they are kind of related. It's more no. to do with things about the film rather than things that are in the film but I'll have to get to that later on because quite interesting sort of thought digressions I guess and I want to share them with people but yeah it's boring other than the odd set piece and a couple of cool things that come out of it that end up making the universe better one of which I talked about in the Neil Before section the other of which I'll get to so there we go shall we do a spoiler mind trick so that no one Stops us from spoiling it. Sounds good, as long as it's not too powerful and everyone forgets while they're here. <laughs> Predators will do fine. No, they won't. Predators will do fine. No, they won't. Okay, we're now in spoiler territory. 
we've went past the spoiler blockade, whatever you want to talk about. So we've kind of said there's not really a plot here, and there isn't. So we'll just start with characters. What do we think with our, of our two central Jedi? We've got Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi, Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor joining the Star Wars universe. Personally, I don't think much of them because you don't really learn much about them. I think the only thing you can definitively say about Qui-Gon after watching this film is that at some point in his history he decided to grow a beard. <laughs> he doesn't do much else. He seems kind of reckless, but he's also not that reckless. It's weird. He's a weird guy. He just cuts about and kidnaps people. Yeah, I think Obi-Wan, he gets better throughout the prequel trilogy, but in this, he's a complete non-entity. He just has to hang around with the car. He gets left behind a lot of the time. So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame for probably a character that fans wanted to learn more about. Um, you know, he turns up as a hermit, so it'd be quite cool to see him as a, a younger Jedi kind of cutting about. And in, in this, he gets a cool action scene at the end, but otherwise, very little to do. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the most impactful thing I can say about Obi-Wan is that Ewan McGregor manages a passable imitation of Alec Guinness, and Qui-Gon is just there, really. What about the scene where Obi-Wan makes fun of Anakin while he's standing right next to him? <laughs> he, tells, he says to Qui-Gon, the kid's dangerous, we shouldn't bring him with us, and Anakin is right there. He never stops doing that. Like throughout the prequels, any point where he can just get a good slide dig in at Anakin, that's his teaching method. Yeah. yeah, you're not good enough. You're supposed to be the chosen one, but you're not good enough. Obi Wan sucks. I think that's what we're supposed to take from the prequel trilogy: is that Obi Wan sucks. Ah, oh, Obi Wan is amazing. I mean, this is the weakest <laughs> Obi Wan thingy, but he carries two and three pretty much, not by himself. But he plays the Emperor in McDermott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to go McDermott. It's like a two-man show, two and three. Any scene therein is amazing. In this one, though, he gets several moments where he just kind of vaguely prophesies some stuff that happens in the original trilogy. Just, you know, oh, like, I don't know, man, I have a bad feeling about this. Not like, I don't know what, but something in the future won't go well. Come on, man, that's cheap. Commenting on what Obi-Wan in the second and third films is actually part of the issue with this one. Because he is actually slightly more interesting in the rest of the trilogy, it only serves to highlight uh, just that his presence here is so unimpacting. I think part of the problem is it's the same problem that they have with every character. They're so poorly defined. I mean, people are always talking about the prequels versus the original trilogy. And if you were asked to describe Han Solo in a few words, you would say he's a rogue, he's street smart, whatever. You're asked to describe Luke, you can come up with a few words to describe him. If you're asked to describe Qui-Gon in this film, you can't do it because he's so ill-defined. And Obi-Wan just is there and they have a couple of chats and that's about it. And as Angus says, Obi-Wan does nothing. When they get to Tatooine, it's, you stay with the ship. Okay. And then he calls Qui-Gon a couple of times from the ship. Doesn't even help when there's a Sith attacking him. Just little things like that. And you struggle to say anything about any of the characters in this film because they don't have any characteristics. Yeah, I think in 2, there's a lot of extra stuff added that really should have been in the first one to make more sense. So we get, oh yeah, the clones have been developed on. Camino by Sifo-Dyas, Jedi, and in that one it's like, oh yeah, but he's been dead for a bit, and Qui-Gon has, his master was 
Count Dooku, and then the second one he just kind of shows up. If you could kind of retroactively go back, there's lots of stuff they tried to add in which would have been way more interesting if we didn't know about Count Dooku or slightly rebellious Jedi like Sifo-Dyas or, or and all these other people if in the first one because then it wouldn't be as oddly jarring when in the later films when they add all this history in that they haven't set up yeah there's the famous machete order that they suggest when you watch the Star Wars films basically what you can do is you can watch episode 4 then episode 5 and then go back and watch 2 and 3 and then watch Return of the Jedi because Phantom Menace gives you nothing that you need to know for the rest <laughs> of the films <laughs> And it's true. There's nothing the thing, in though, here that you need. That's the weird part. I mean, the one thing about Qui-Gon Jinn, though, is that he was a dreamboat. <laughs> in a way that none of the other Jedi can rock this look. And honestly, gone too soon. He looks cool. He does look cool. Obi-Wan Kenobi takes over in two, though. He's really hot. I, 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 was, a, I was a confused but happy child watching those movies. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the Jedi brain does nothing for anyone. Absolutely. No, it's You have to have a beard. All Jedi have no. to be handsome. No. I have to be honest, I'm not a hugely Mason fan in general, which is probably controversy in itself, but I didn't enjoy either of them. And I love Ewan McGregor, but I just feel like he was so weak in it. Gusted. He's got what he has to work with. Yeah, well, first year, like, he's so much better than that. And, and yet this would have been an opportunity of a lifetime for any actor who would have grown up with the original trilogy to be a part of. So it's a shame that his character really isn't up to much in the they, first movie. They must have got most of the cast by making them sign on before reading a script. Because oh, well, yeah, Liam have done this otherwise... Up. Well, he seems to do anything, so I mean... Well, that was before he did anything. <laughs> Maybe he's always done anything. <laughs> Maybe he's always done anything. You would but, sign on immediately, though, wouldn't you? Like, like, oh, we're doing a Star Wars, we want you for Obi-Wan. Yeah. Or like the new Jedi, you're like, yeah. Yeah, like, obviously. you wouldn't even question it, you would just be like, yes, because you would think it was going to be good. Yeah. And I'm sure Jay I heard... It's like, I'm a sure thing, I'll be there. I'm sure I heard that I didn't have Liam Neeson originally and that... Obi-Wan was going to have a bigger role to play, but once they got Liam Neeson on board, they needed something for him to do, so they kind of sidelined all of Obi-Wan's Aww, stuff. Oh, that's really shocking. And Qui-Gon takes the lead. Well, so to speak. That's yeah. a shame. Yeah, it's just weird. I mean, it's weird that we've had so much to say about so little, but... <laughs> That is surprising. You mean this yeah. podcast in general? or <laughs> I hate to draw on um, supplementary material, but well, my only experience of Qui-Gon outside of this film is a couple of appearances he makes in, in Clone Wars. And he's much better than there. He, he's like a wise old ghost, which works. And Liam Neeson <laughs> reprises his role. So, uh, good on him. Aslan? A wise old ghost. A wise old ghost. Or a wise... kind of... Because he looks like he should be like an old sage. He's got the poncho and you can imagine him like smoking a long pipe and like incense and stuff. He looks like he should have been, uh, not necessarily a hermit, but he's definitely a bit of a wild one in the Jedi. He's kind of just got his big sort of thingy cloak and his long hair and his braids and his beard. And he looks like the sort of person who should be the real sort of hermit monk character as opposed to whatever he is in this film. Well, there's that line where it's, you would be on the council if you weren't such a, rule breaker or whatever it is he yeah. says. 
what are the rules? What are the other members of the council like? I don't have anything to compare this to. As far as I'm concerned, Qui-Gon is acting like a normal Jedi does, going around from place to place, just essentially cheating people and kidnapping people. Because <laughs> <laughs> let's not forget he rigs a legitimate bet. <laughs> Can we go back to who does suit the little ponytail? Because I think of anyone, it has to be Hayden Christensen. Who does not appear in this movie. Who doesn't appear in this movie, but just because we're talking about it, he does look good with that. He's the only one who does, but there you go. When Obi-Wan says, I'm ready to face the trials, I just was thinking, why can't we see that instead? (laughs) What are the trials? I'd rather see the trials than... And then yeah. the council. he doesn't face any trials. Yoda just says, oh, your master's dead. You're a Jedi Knight now. So that's fine. Easy. <laughs> you did kill a Sith Lord, I suppose. Maybe that's instead of the trials. Yeah, the first one in a thousand years. That'll do. Well, he didn't actually kill a Sith Lord, as we know. He killed him long enough to get his certificate. <laughs> <laughs> to get his badge. Gets taken off him once they find out that Maul isn't dead. Yeah. <laughs> Bump down to Padawan again. That's, that's why I have to go up against like Grievous in three. It's like we've got to kill someone <laughs> until Grievous will be fine. Grievous will show up in Mandalorian series four, and then <laughs> then he hasn't killed anyone. Speaking of the Padawan braid, we do have Anakin who appears in this film. He's a, an annoying little boy. Did you ever want to see Darth Vader as a little boy? Well, too bad because you're seeing him as a little boy. He's cute! <laughs> and he's, he's had a hard time. That's the only thing he has going for Yeah. All we learn about him is that he was once a little boy. Do you know, Liam Neeson created <laughs> all of this problem. <laughs> I was going to say, Liam Neeson created little boys. Then. <laughs> <laughs> like, I little boys. <laughs> Seriously, everything is Liam Neeson's fault. Yeah, I think it's still Obi-Wan's fault. He makes a complete hash of training him. I'm sure if Qui-Gon had trained Anakin, it would have been fine. No, it's because, as we'll go on to discuss, I'm sure, his mum not being by his side made him emotionally unstable. But that's every Jedi. All Jedi are taken from their parents at a young age and then indoctrinated into this cult. But did they all have explosives implanted in their bodies at a young age? Yeah, were there... Were there That would make you unstable. What do you mean? They had to leave her behind as a slave. And were any of the other ones somehow immaculately conceived by the Force? Apparently. There's also that. Why did those slaves have so much free time? (laughs) And a ground floor apartment. Yeah. And enough food to share with anyone who comes around. And a full fruit bowl. The weirdest part, though, George Lucas creates this situation for Anakin. He's a slave, but Watto isn't a bad slave owner. He treats him okay. So it's not that bad. That means you can kind of like Watto if you want, because he's not that bad. He still keeps slaves, but he's all right. What country do you think his character was modelled after? (laughs) Country. Well, given that he seems to be a very, very shocking character of Jewish stereotypes, possibly Israel. (laughs) (laughs) He hasn't aged well. Or he may not have been well at the time either. But yeah, as a 13 year old, I didn't recognise it. It's the same with, was it, Newt Gunray in the Trade Federation? <laughs> <laughs> Every character in this is just a weird. <laughs> I object. Yeah, and this is, this is why I was Googling politics in Star Wars, because I wondered if there was something to let me know what was going on in the world 
at the time politically that inspired this movie because normally it's as a response to something that's happened in the world. So what was going on in the world that they felt like they needed to create these caricatures and then teach us political lessons that way? Well, that was kind of one of the things I was thinking about. Not along those lines, though. I was thinking more about the state of the world when The Phantom Menace came out. So late 90s. It's arguably just before the world went to the state it's in now. You know, a really bad state. And I think a lot of people living in the 90s would probably have been a bit complacent, been thinking, yeah, life's fine, there are no major wars, there are no major problems, it's all good. While in the background there's these things happening, there's wheeling and dealing going on that's actually threatening to just tear apart this oasis of complacency that we're all apparently living in, although not Mm. really living in. And Mm. then I started thinking about what else was out at the time. This is how I got through the film. I sat and thought about (laughs) anything else. You thought about The Matrix. Well, The Matrix is very much about a man who ends up seeing what the world is really like after believing it to be a certain way. And Men in Black is all about keeping people deluded into thinking the world is a certain way when Mm. it's really not like that. Yeah. So it kind of exists in conversation with the world that existed at the time and with other films that were out roughly around that time, which is actually the most interesting thing about it. So it's actually about the end of a kind of grace period where everyone thinks life is great. Meanwhile, it's all about to unravel. It's really interesting that you bring up that point, actually, because I I mean, obviously... I was thinking about that and thinking about the state of the world, but obviously we were young. Like We wouldn't have cared to have really watched the news at that point or BBC and their biasness might not have covered what was going on in some countries that don't directly connect to the UK. Yeah. So, Shots you fired. know, like there are wars that happen all of the time. Yeah. We just don't know about it, but it's... It well, is part of the problem is it was being ignored, about. isn't it? That's well, part of the issue. Well, for sure. Yeah. Like, for sure. But that's a, yeah, that was a, a thing that kept me going through the movie as well, thinking about its context amongst yeah. a real political climate. Yeah, and it's interesting, at least, to think about the world it comes from. And you have to wonder because I mentioned Men in Black and The Matrix, Mm. you have to wonder, creatives at the time were sort of subconsciously aware of these things. Yeah, they will be for sure. And you can look at so many other movies and see how they responded to or were part of the conversation about disseminating information or a certain viewpoint about political activity. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, I think because this movie is so big on the political storyline you can't help but think about it because it's there for most of the movie well palpatine's able to unravel the republic so easily because no one is actually paying attention to what he's doing no yeah. one is considering the implications of the things that he's suggesting and then by the time that people start wising up to it it's far too late yeah it's funny that that still happens to this day yeah people are still being deluded into thinking that good decisions are being made and they're not just well, imagining Palpatine by like, you should, you should drink bleach and Dettol and his little weird floaty circle. Yeah, for I sure. I mean, I guess the, the difference is that Palpatine at least seemed competent at one point. But did he? Well, in this film, he's definitely competent because he's the one that's like, well, we can't do this because the Senate will take forever to decide on this. But what you could do is you could challenge this guy's leadership. No, but that then... whole time, that's not competence. That's him manipulating the person, yeah. the Padme, yeah, into calling for no competence. He's manipulating the 14-year-old child 
that's in charge of her whole world into doing that because he knows that he can use that situation to further himself. He's not thinking about anything else and he's not yeah. thinking about how beneficial he can be to other people. He's purely thinking about himself and whoever he's working for because that sort of comes out at another part of the movie when he does like a sort of evil face. You're like, oh, there's something going on here that we've not seen. So. Which, as Machiavellian as it may be, is really boring for kids. <laughs> yeah, although I'm really surprised because you guys all said that you liked it when you saw it as a child. Because I wanted to like it. I wanted to, so, I saw I saw lightsabers. I was able to kind of get past the boring talky bits to be like, okay, yeah, they're having a fight in the desert now. It yeah. was short, but so at least it was a fight. So did you have more patience as a child than you do as an adult? No, I'm, I think I'm just like Craig, where I convinced myself that this was fun and good because it was Star Wars, but then in the intervening years, I was confused and thinking, what's wrong with me? Why didn't I like that movie more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're a certain age, when you're like 12, 13, whatever age, you know, the, the target age group for this film, which is really weird why you have a prolonged Senate debate in a film that's supposed to be for nine-year-olds, according to George Lucas. Oh, really? But, yeah, that's what he says. He writes... Get them started young. He writes films for young kids. He doesn't, you know, so if adults don't like it, he doesn't care, which it's a position that he can take. Fine. That's up to him. He made the film. It's up to him to keep his own counsel on who he thinks should watch it. We don't have to agree. That's the good thing. That's why we're here. But when you're that age, you're like, the Senate debate, I have no idea what they're talking about. I have no idea what they're saying. I have no idea what is going on. But I know that the lightsaber fight will be soon. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a really weird combination or juxtaposition because there is so much in there that's really childish as well. Like watching as an adult, you, I, like I had my head in my hands anytime Jar Jar was on the screen. Yeah. And I was just like... He's honestly I, the worst. I don't remember liking that as a kid, but maybe I found that... Well, I definitely found it more entertaining than politicians talking about... Did you? Trade taxation. I mean, there's a and few you, more fart jokes, you? so it's all right. I must have. Yeah. I don't remember specifically liking Jar Jar very much as a kid, but now upon rewatching it, I actively despised him. It's just like every single moment is on screen, I found personally offensive. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and no, because I'm at best wanting to. Well, let's not, let's not go there. But it's a shame because Ahmed Best thought about committing suicide, apparently, like, after the reaction he got to his role. Yeah. Oh no, that's really awful. Yeah. That's not yeah. his fault. No, it's not his fault. It's, 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 it's the fault of George Lucas and his terrible writing. It's, I think it's more the fault of the people that were just attacking him personally. It's the Kelly Marie Tran thing, but yeah. 20 years early. I was about to say, when do you think mm. there'll ever be another Star Wars film where someone isn't bullied because of a fictional character they play? I don't think that wouldn't have happened in, I don't know what the the means were in the 70s and 80s but I'm assuming characters were bullied in local magazine or something <laughs> I'm sure the guy that played Wicket the Ewok got attacked at conventions by angry fans wow. Misa not impressed <laughs> <laughs> alright can I be really controversial for a moment oh go, go ahead, ahead. Do it. please I don't hate Jar Jar so I mean uh, I okay in retrospect yes at the 
time that I first watched the movie, I just didn't think there was anything wrong. He was as dreary as the rest of the film, to be honest. So, like, he's not out of place. The rest of the film is kind of like that, too. The other aliens that are on Tatooine are also horrible racial stereotypes. Hell, the aliens on the starship that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan board are also terrible racial stereotypes. I actually had forgotten how bad all of that was. So that's a parenthesis I want to make. Awful, awful racial stereotype accents. Mm -hmm. There's some Mm -hmm. weird Italian stuff. There's some weird West African Nigerian accents in there for no good reason whatsoever. And never really, yeah, and we, we never, yeah, exactly. We never really see that sort of thing in other Star Wars movies. So I don't know why this one is so bad. It's just like really tone deaf. So that aside, the Darth Jar Jar theory, I've grown to really like in the last few years. And I think there is merit to it slash it can make you just hate him a little bit less if you think of him as some kind of weird, evil, scheming, diff situation. Um, I honestly don't mind that theory at all. And I will point you to a book which I discovered, I forget where, and it's one of my favorite things. It, it, generally, this whole series is brilliant for people who are A, theater slash Shakespeare nerds like myself, and B, just Star Wars nerds. And this is the William Shakespeare's Star Wars series by Ian Dosher. In which, basically, it's the plots of all, of all the Star Wars films, but written like Shakespeare plays. And How so have I never encountered this first, before? <laughs> oh my god, it's the best thing ever. Part the first, The Phantom of Menace, <laughs> features Jar Jar as the Shakespearean kind of clown character who speaks to the audience aside... And it's very clear that he has an agenda. And can I read to you a little bit of it? Please, yes. (laughs) Okay, so... Dramatic reading, um, this podcast gives you everything. Right? (laughs) Multi-arts, it's brilliant. So I've got Jar Jar's entrance, in which he meets Qui-Gon Jinn. And then once he meets Qui-Gon Jinn, he kind of explains his positioning. And that's kind of all you need to know about Jar Jar in this version. And honestly, that's the version of Jar Jar that I subscribe to, and I pretty much like this. So, here we go. <coughs> and I won't do the voice, because I can't. Oh, come on, you have to do the voice. I get, I get, well, whenever there's appropriate dialogue, I will do the voice. Um, okay, so. A man approaches, clothed in Jedi garb. Belike this man brings aid unto Naboo, such as will help my people and my land. Mayhap this is the chance I have desired, for I have wondered lo these many months, a thinking over this planet's dreary fate, two peoples separated by their fear and prejudice, which e'er doth make us shirk from giving help unto each other. Aye, it may be that the only hope for us to be united is to realize that our two fates are tightly knit as one. Perchance this Jedi, followed by these droids, doth bring the words to break our deep trust. I shall make introduction in my way, portray the part that I have learned so well. It doth befit the human prejudice to think we Gungans simple, low, and rude. I shall approach him thusly, yet shall bend him to the path that shall assist us all. Put on thy simple wits now, Jar Jar Binks, thus play the role of clown to stoke his pride. 
he meets Qui-Gon, right? And so he meets Qui-Gon and he goes like, oh, like Misa Jar Jar, whatever. And then Qui-Gon is like, what are you doing here? You know, you're going to kill us both. And then Jar Jar turns to the audience again and he goes, your kind did teach me human language. And my profit on it is I know how to move your human heart. So shall I speak most like a gun gun plane and thus disarm you by a fool's deceit. He turns to Qui-Gon. Nay, nay, why, sir, oh, Misa, stay ye. Oh, Misa, call Jar Jar Binks. Now Misa is your servant, humble. Encore, encore. Excuse me. <laughs> I think this could be a podcast to itself, you know? We'll just have Kat reading yeah, so, it, the whole book. So, yeah, like, just it like Star, Wars, audio Star Wars Shakespeare. It's brilliant. And so here it is, right? I think I found this book in a bookshop at some point, and I was browsing, and I come across this, and I open it up thinking it's going to be absolute drivel. And it's actually really readable, really funny, and it adds a little summon-summon to your Jar Jar for just, like, a little bit of intrigue, you know? And I'm into that, personally. Like, adding a little layer of complexity where there wasn't any, well, in theory. So, yeah. And there's an entire Reddit called Darth Jar Jar. And I think they, too, like this book. (laughs) And so I rest my case, good sirs and ladies. That's where I stand on the matter. The thing that it's not necessarily a problem I have with Jar Jar as such, although I do have issue with him as a character. I think how he's used is a big problem as well. For example, the Tatooine stuff. So Qui-Gon's like, right, we're off into the settlement. We need to go and buy a new hyperdrive generator. I'm going to bring with me Jar Jar because we need to be careful. We need to be stealthy. We need to make sure we're not noticed. So I'm going to bring this guy. (laughs) Why? Why? (laughs) I mean, Padme is no choice because he gets told that he has to and he's like, whatever. I'll bring her. If she dies, fine. It's not my problem. But he brings Jar Jar, and all he does is complain, and all he does is get them in trouble. As you would expect. Just another stupid decision by Qui-Gon. He just doesn't know what he's doing. He's just like, yeah, Jar Jar, you come with me. I quite like stirring things up. Hmm. I'm imagining how it would have been different if it was Mace Windu versus Watto. Been a couple of MFs thrown around. <laughs> I don't think it would have been any better at all. I don't know. I think Mace Windu is the most sedate you will ever see Samuel L. Jackson. That's true. He is very toned down. Especially in this film. He's just kind of sit. In fact, I don't think he even stands up in this film, does he? No, he's just uh, reclining, being very, very noble and real and wise and condescending. I know he stands up at the end, doesn't he? Because does he's, he? on, he's on Naboo at Qui Gon's funeral. Mm. Oh yeah, forgettable. Mm. Mm-hmm. But he never moves. You never see him walk. So I'm maybe maybe he had a sticky on or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a. Hey Sam, do you want to be in a Star Wars movie? And he's like, no problem. <laughs> and then, oh, this is what I'm doing. Oh, that's not great. Do I get a lightsaber in the next one? Yes. Cool. I'll do the next one. Can the lightsaber be purple? Be purple. I require it to be purple. Yeah, whatever you want, Sam. At least you didn't have to wear an eye patch. Can I also have a golf course near the filming location? That's what he always wants, apparently. He always needs a golf course to be nearby. That's incredible. Yeah, he's Samuel L. Jackson, so it's fine. He gets what he wants. Purple lightsabers, golf courses, probably 
golf clubs that are purple lightsabers. All right, moving on. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> so that's yeah, that's Jar Jar. I mean, he gets made a general for some a bombad reason. General. A bombad general, which is really weird. Boss Nass. <laughs> I mean, what's that guy all about? But he's like, well done for bringing these people to us. We're going to make you a general, even though we literally banished you because you're too clumsy. And we have no reason to believe that anything has changed. But he's a general. And then he becomes a senator. And then he starts the empire, basically. Questionable decision-making on Boss Nass's part. (laughs) Boss Nass is a weird weird dude. What is he all about? (laughs) Next on my list is Padme, I guess. So we'll just talk about Padme a bit. It's a bit hard to figure out, especially when you're a kid, who she is at any given moment. I remember the yeah. decoy scene when I was young. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> Maybe that's why you enjoyed it so much. <laughs> well, it was like, oh, yeah, this really confused me. I did not see that coming because there's no way I could have seen it coming. Well, you watch it now, it's really obvious that Kira Knightley is the queen mm-hmm. very common really? for most of the film. Yeah. I, don't know, I, yeah. I still find moments when I was like, who's, what, is that? The per-? Yeah, and then I was so bored by it. I didn't try and pay more attention, so... I do like her... Yeah, it's, her it's overly position. complicated, for sure. <laughs> yeah, when she abuses her decoy position, it's like, Padme, go clean this droid. Just <laughs> tell the queen to go clean a droid. It's so funny. So funny. Except it's not. I think what helps cover it up is the robot voice that they're both made to use throughout. I don't understand. Oh, I really don't oh. like that voice. I call for That's a day to be so confident. Bad. It's also so boring. Yeah, not good. Well, perhaps that's a teenage girl's idea of what's supposed to sound regal and commanding. No, it's not. (laughs) I mean, she does meet her future husband, who's like seven years younger than her. Five years. I had to Google it. Who originally thinks she might be an angel. Yeah. Oh, that's like the. Oh, yeah. You're a funny little boy. <laughs> and then I don't. Everything, the little everything flirt, else that goes on. Nine years me. old. Just, just, just child flirting with me? What? It's like, young Annie's got game, apparently. Oh, and she's into it, alright. It's honestly, it's honestly the cutest child playing. Oh, yeah. Angels, a thing in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. <laughs> just like how Tark is a. Part of oh, Sabina universe. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, on the note of them flirting, how do people feel about the Weird Al song based on this movie? Oh, I like it. I, I love it. It's one of my favorites of his. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Reminds me, how does it go? Good, thank you, because same. I'm not saying it. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's American Pie by Madonna, but it's all lyrics that are that uh, from Obi-Wan's guy. perspective. You're Anakin guy. Uh, just summarizing yeah. the plot of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll US link it to you so you can put it in the show notes. It's yeah. so, so good. It's a paradox, but... There's a couple of lyrics in it saying... Uh, Someday I'm going to be a Jedi. That one, and re- re- relevant to that scene, is saying, and, and did you see him hitting on the Queen, though he's just nine and she's 14? Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's probably going to marry her someday. That's it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think maybe that's why I semi-appreciate this film and don't hate it as much as a lot of people do. Well, it's got its merits that can be summed up into about three and a half minutes. And honestly, I appreciate that. Well, there are things about this film that I like because of what happens later on or what you can get later mm. on. For example, Star Wars Episode One: Racer on the N64. Such a great <laughs> game. And it wouldn't have existed without this film. 
And also, I like what happens with Darth Maul later when they bring him back in Clone Wars and then Rebels. Not in Solo, mm-hmm. because why is he even there? Spoiler alert! Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spider alert. Yeah, but I'm not going <laughs> to say that Maul is interesting in this film because he has two lines. What are they? Does he say anything? Yeah, his first line is, if the trace was correct, I will find them quickly, Master. And then he says, oh, yeah. we'll reveal ourselves to the Jedi, we will have revenge. Or something like that. That's all he ever says. And his screen time overall, according to IMDb, is eight and a half minutes. Wow, that long? Wow. Most of which he's dancing around twirling a red stick. I remember that being a disappointment when I was younger because he's basically designed to be an action figure to appeal to wee boys. <laughs> he so looks cool. He does yeah, look he's cool. spiky, he's red and black, he's got it's a big sword. Hot. He does all the cool moves. And then when he dies at the end, I was a bit like, I kind of hoped that he would be in it more in this film. And I was hoping that he would continue on throughout the other prequel movies. And then he's like, oh, well, that's the end of him then. <laughs> I mean, he's very enigmatic, but that's largely because he's not in the film very much and doesn't say anything. So mm. you're left to wonder, oh, what's this guy's deal? Why is he doing It's annoying things? that they named the movie The Phantom Menace when he's really not that big a deal in it. Well, The Phantom Menace, I think, is supposed to be Palpatine. Oh. he's, you know, playing around in the background and pulling strings and making his puppets dance and all these things. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, in defence of Knowledge Perception, given Darth Maul's prominence in marketing, then you, you can probably be, be forgiven for, for assuming the title refers to him. Oh yeah, I couldn't wait to see the film just to see him. And then, when is Darth Maul going to show up? And his best bit is in the trailer. Yeah, most of it. Assuming you're not talking about where he gets chopped in half. That's not his best bit. <laughs> What's the best bit? He ignites one end of his lightsaber, and then, wait for it, he ignites the other side. There is a really awesome moment involving them though. It's when they're in the hangar bay and the door opens. He's there in his robe, ready for action. Jewel of the Fate starts playing and it's it's about to go down. Even Padme and her group of expendable hench people are like, yeah, we'll go the other way. This this is kind of scary. Mm-hmm. It's true. This movie did give us Jewel of the Fates, so the there Fates is that. Is yeah. yeah, it's a magnificent piece of music. It's actually a really excellent soundtrack, but it's deployed so poorly in the film. If you listen to the CD, or perhaps the digital version of it these days, but I still have the CD. Very much better than it's deployed in this film. Yeah, There's the entire music, bits of music that you don't hear in this film. The music for the droid army is pretty good as well. Yeah, the battle droids. Who are supposed to replace stormtroopers, but are just battle droids. No, I love the battle droids. I like them in Clone Wars because they're just stupid. I think they just looked kind of cool when I was little. I think they're sort of weird, snaky faces, and they're. I think it's like obviously they're not people, and you know, CGI, more like armies of them. I think it just sort of sparked a cool thing for me when I was little, and all them saying Roger, Roger, and the, the weird tanks. <laughs> I think I like all the design of the Trade Federation and all their monsters. The Droidicas, I mean, they were like the coolest thing ever. Like, you roll them in and they had these shields and they're just nightmare things. Yeah, they probably thought they should have made a few more of them. <laughs> Seeing as the battle droids don't last very long. They're more useless even than stormtroopers. Yeah, but there's more of them, so I guess it's strengthened significant numbers. Mm. Plus, they only have to fight some Gungans. How hard can that be? They never counted on a clumsy Gungan ruining their day. I really love the word Gungan. Like, it's really pleasing to hear, and I don't know why. Try to say it. Gungan. 
<laughs> Honestly, uh, yes. Like it, it felt a little bit like that watching it because you're a bit oh, like dear. they're not showing us why they have such a staunch response to that situation, but perhaps it's because it's not a unique one. So you're suggesting that Qui-Gon travels from planet to planet abducting little boys and calling them his chosen ones? I mean, he didn't go there to save him and release him, but he did. So maybe it does happen all over. Maybe. Could be. Mm. It's not another story. I actually saw recently an interesting sort of take on a perception of the Jedi. Not so much on how they are in this film, but there's a weird disparity between the original trilogy and this, as in, in the original trilogy... No one's really heard of the Jedi. They're like this myth that kind of may have existed, but it was only 30 years ago. So that's like us saying, who are the Beatles? It's that equivalent. So the suggestion was that perhaps the Jedi should have just been this isolated pocket of monks that lived in this temple somewhere that was not known to many people. So yeah, we don't know about this Tibetan monasteries or whatever, you know, all of them. So that would have made sense rather than being this centralised peacekeeping body that were aligned to the government in some way. It's almost like it was a massive misstep. Yeah. <laughs> just this weird cult that just sits in the middle of society and mm. tells us what to do. I always sort of assumed it's like a fear thing. But the reason they're not like in the original like fourth having six, they don't really mention the Jedi or know about them is because it, it's like one of these things that are, if you're talking about Jedi then stormtroopers will whisk you off. Kinda of like, you know, in like Soviet Russia, like you know, like Trotsky and whatever, like yeah, you couldn't mention stuff because then you'd be taken away. I assume that might have been why I guess it's not mentioned in the films, but you know, you kind of just make up stuff. I always assume yeah, Jedi's aren't known because it's dangerous to talk about them or whatever. Yeah, could be. I don't know. It's sort of the least of my problems. I didn't have an issue with seeing loads of Jedi. In fact, one of my favourite things in the film is just seeing them kick ass just right at the beginning. Because it does set you up for something that's going to be pretty cool. It's like, oh, cool. We're in the film less than two minutes and there's already a lightsaber. Brilliant. And then they cut through a door and then they close the blast doors and then he continues to cut through the door because lightsabers can cut through anything. It's just really cool. And then you have to watch the rest of the film. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was back before Disney nerfed lightsabers. Yeah, now they just kind of singe you if they come into contact with you. What? So yeah, I was. I did appreciate that the cool uh, Qui Gon v Blast Door <laughs> fight. <laughs> yeah, before the destroyer droids show up and they have to flash their way away, <laughs> random burst of super speed to, to get out of the frame. Jedi speed. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, I don't have an issue with. I'm quite happy with the fact that yeah, they hate their power. They had extra abilities that Luke never learned because he sucks yeah. and finishes training. It's one of those things, though. Super speed would have been super handy at the end of the film. <laughs> yeah. Like, when, they're, when, he, when he's trying to get through all those, like, red laser doors that, <laughs> that they have in the palace for some reason. It's like, here's a room with the, the laser doors. <laughs> I guess it's like airport security to get into the Naboo Senate room. Well, it's not even the Senate room. It's just a big pit. The big pit. You have yeah. to navigate the Black Panther fight room first, and then you get through <laughs> that, and then you get to the laser door interval room. Yeah. I'm sure there's supplementary material that explains what all that is. But just a room with loads of platforms that host a cool lightsaber fight, which I suppose is fine. I don't really need to know. I've already had to find out what votes of no confidence are and things like that. So no no sense in overloading me. Yeah. 
<laughs> Any more on Anakin? Any observations on Anakin, the chosen one? Just that that kid was a terrible actor. Terrible, oh, terrible no, actor. He's cute. <laughs> oh, on! I will show you the pot. Just like every time that he had to read a line out, it was just nobody talks that way. Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> Oh, I yeah, thought it was cute, yeah. and his enthusiasm was nice because there was nothing else really going on in the movie. Listen, he's cute. It's the, I mean, for sure. It's just the intonation-wise, it's just not how people speak. It was very stilted and very unnatural. I loved yes, it. Cute it felt kid. like the realest part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the. Oh, I'm a bless person, you. and my name is Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the dialogue, I mean, is bad enough, but George Lucas tried this weird CGI filming technique or editing technique where it's like, I'm going to cut Liam Neeson's half of this scene and splice it into an earlier take of, say, Jake Lloyd's half of the scene. And so what you have is you have two people having a conversation that isn't the conversation that they had when they filmed it because yeah. it's the two different things sort of spliced together. It's really weird. I mean, it doesn't account for the dialogue which is atrocious but it does sort of account for the fact that no one really seems to know what they're looking at or who they're talking to or anything like that it should be noted that jake lloyd also played arnie's son in jingle all the way oh sweet you can, you can never go a podcast without mentioning jingle all the way can you? <laughs> I'd, I'd forgotten about that such a great movie not because of him but it's such a great movie. I've seen loads of people say, and I think we should mention the fact that Red Letter Media did a pretty comprehensive breakdown of the prequel trilogy. And there will definitely be some overlap in here because so many people have seen it and so many people sort of refer to it without really knowing. People have described it as a semester of film school in a review, which is quite something. But he talks about, and I suppose everybody's talked about how when they introduced Anakin, he should have been older because the fact is you've got this nine-year-old kid who's too old to begin training as a Jedi. doesn't really make sense. Would it be better if he'd been like a teenager? Then he's obviously too old. Or, you know, the same age as Luke, perhaps. Mm-hmm. When Luke yeah. wanted to begin his training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but it would have been a different film. And he would have had to share more than two scenes with Obi-Wan as well. But he does get to say yippee twice. Oh, how cute is it? Yeah, yeah, he does. He says it once, and then you're like, oh, God. And then he says it again, and then you're like, ha-ha. Oh, it's his catchphrase. It's his catchphrase. <laughs> I didn't know it was Darth Vader saying it all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and then he says, whoa, about two dozen times. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he says that a lot. When was the second yippee? Uh, he's going back to something he's going back it's maybe after after he gets out of the I don't know when he shoots something there's one in Watto's shop that's the first one is it when he's in the ship flying about shooting things and he blows up the thing no when he does that he says oops (laughs) no but when he comes out and everyone's like applauding him is he not like yippee well I think it may be after they've been fixing up the pod oh is it I think so yeah there are definitely two yippees yeah I wonder if it was Darth Vader's catchphrase. Every time he choked someone, he would just mutter under his breath, yippee. Do they say it in the Family Guy Star Wars? don't think so. Just do we say it at any point? Because that would have been adorable. No. Oh, and no. one of his best pals is Greedo. <laughs> <laughs> is that Greedo? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's in the credits and everything. No. I'm sure his name is mentioned in the film itself as well. 
I don't know why uh, Baby Greedo didn't take off as much well, as Baby Yoda did. I, I, I just assumed it was like some random roadie and not specifically Greedo. No, no, it's definitely Greedo, which okay. is hilarious. Okay. And, and, and also random trivia, he was played by Warwick Davis. Everyone Greedo. was played by Warwick Davis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he built C-3PO because that's necessary. I, I think that was Wald. And I've just Googled Wald. Wald was one of Anakin's playmates in Mos Espa slave quarters. He's a Rodian. Oh, so it's not Greedo. It's yeah, not it's Greedo. Wald. I always thought it was Greedo. It's mm. just rumours. There you go. You've just ruined my life. Thanks. He was, however, played by Warwick Davis. <laughs> like I said, everyone was. Yeah. Do we really need Darth Vader to be the one who built C-3PO? I think it's nice. Well, yeah, he wanted his mum to have a protocol droid who spoke <laughs> over a thousand forms of communication. And then it it's really necessary when you're a slave, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> your mum, I built your robot butler for all these dinner parties that we have. <laughs> I don't think Jar Jar Binks is any more annoying than C-3PO. They're not offensively annoying, but they're just kind of like, yeah, they're, they're there. With you on that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't like 3PO that much, most of the time. Especially in Rise of Skywalker. I think that's his worst outing. In this film, you do get some pretty obvious... They basically turn to the camera and go, C-3PO, meet R2-D2. <laughs> Hold for applause. And then at another yep. point, there's like, Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Let's turn and just yep. make sure everyone's acknowledged that. And we'll carry on. I like the look of disdain that Obi-Wan has on his face when Qui-Gon introduces him. It's just, oh my god, I hate kids. You know, whatever he's thinking, he's not thinking anything positive. It's like, who's this? So like, I've got another chosen one again. <laughs> I used to be the chosen one. That's dark. That is a dark <clears throat> reading of that film. <laughs> I was imagining afterwards, before he goes to Tatooine to be exiled, Obi-Wan Kenobi going to the burial site of Craig on Jimmy, like, ha, I told you so. I told you so in that look that this is a terrible idea. <laughs> Angus, when you say about the nods to the camera kind of R2-D2 meets C-3PO. It's, the introduction of R2-D2 is horrible in that respect because all the other droids get blown up and he's the only one that survives and he does his job and fixes the hyperdrive or fixes the shield. And then they spend a good minute and a half or two minutes congratulating him. It's like, yeah. He's a droid. <laughs> Please introduce me to one of the ship's functions. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an extremely well put together little droid. And it's like, that's great. Give it a clean. It deserves it. It's like in Thomas the Tank Engine when it's like, you deserve a new coat of paint for that. But as George Lucas says, we're viewing it through the lens of the droids, aren't we? Their point of view through all the saga. Yeah, the other chunk of the tree and everything sort of follows their life. The R2-D2 saga, I suppose, the Skywalker saga. Even though R2 doesn't show up until like half an hour into the film or something. So Anakin, annoying, fine, gets to be a Jedi because for some reason Yoda changes his mind. I don't understand why. Well, Qui-Gon's dead. We have a job opening, I guess. This'll do. Yeah, unclear. <laughs> you uh, will train the boy. Okay. <laughs> I accept it. The boy that's been brought in there. Not they just can't do. say no anymore. <laughs> I accept it, but I'm not going to do a good job. That was true. Wait till you see what he does when he grows up. Mm-hmm. Palpatine's in the film briefly. What did we think of Ian McDermott's kind of first canonical outing as Palpatine. I think when I watched in the cinema and didn't really know he was the Emperor, I thought I was just some just another guy, like just some dude. And I think like, you can sort of tell like knowing now who it is, it's still the same, it's like, oh yeah, here's just another man to say hello to. I thought he and Sidious were two different people at first. 
Yeah, it's the same for ages. I was like, oh, right, yeah, that's who they are. Until the end of Attack of the Clones. He does yeah, a pretty good that. job of hiding his evil intentions. I actually had the exact opposite reaction to that kind of thing. I thought it was so obvious that him and Sidious were the same person. I was wondering why they were bothering to hide it. I was like 11 when I saw it, so... I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize, <laughs> realize they were the same person. If you watch it in release order and he's introduced by name, then you're like, oh, Emperor Palpatine and Senator Palpatine. Well, the name's never said in it's Return of the, the Jedi. Guy. It's just the Emperor. Yeah, but I mean, by the time it came to Phantom Menace, everyone knew. That, that, that's the justification. Everybody yeah. knows by this point. Well, nobody knows that he's called Sheev Palpatine, but now everyone knows that as well. Is that now actually his first name? Resurrect- I've never seen him resurrected as a crane wielded zombie. <laughs> That's all I could think about. And this is like, oh, look where this all began. And now where did it all end? <laughs> or it's that creepy line he has with Anakin at the end who's like, we'll be watching your career with great interest. Wink, wink. <laughs> it's like stranger danger. Yes, I'll be keeping an eye on you, boy. <laughs> I feel like that is Star Wars trying to have a sense of humour though because it's like oh only the people who've seen the other movies are going to get that reference so I felt and everyone else will be that. highly distressed by it Aww. it's a real politician thing to say though isn't it like we'll watch your career with great interest if someone's presented to like the Duke of Edinburgh it's like oh yeah this kid raised like £5,000 for charity or whatever it's like well you've got a broad future ahead of you haven't you young man or whatever and then it's quite good as a politics no controversy line <laughs> but that's something that any world leader could just say at some sort of weird charity event only if the Duke of Edinburgh had manipulated the force into <laughs> immaculately conceiving the kid who had then raised £5,000 for charity and then he later <laughs> on is like even though I know everything that's happened before this I'm just going to pretend like I'm just meeting you for the first time and I've never even considered the fact that you're going to be the chosen one the thing is, why are none of the other Jedi wondering why Palpatine's taking such interest in this new Jedi kid? Does he take interest in a lot of new Jedi kids? <laughs> yeah, how can they not know anything about him? He's always hanging around, he comes to the funeral, he's always there, and they can sense absolutely nothing. Well, it's that complacency thing, isn't it? They're so arrogant, they think that the, the Sith can never come back, so I guess they're not even looking for it, and that's probably part of their downfall. It just seems quite easy to write off like that, though, because you'd think, like, Qui-Gon's a bit of a, a rebel. You'd think that he wouldn't be tuned into the complacency line. So, I don't know. I don't see how they can all have been so blind. Does that mean that generations of Jedi have never been in a lightsaber fight? What do you mean? Well, if there's no Sith to fight, then no one else uses lightsabers. Well, if any guys that be trained with them fight to black. No. Yeah, but that's training. You're not trying to kill each other. Yeah. Unless you are. Maybe the initiation's rough. It's like, all right, class, only half of you will survive. You're all six years old. Only half of you will make it to seven. But I wonder if Qui-Gon's fight against Maul is his first lightsaber fight. His first life or death fight's lightsaber fight. It's very brief. Yeah. He, he kind of escaped quite quickly, so maybe you're right. Maybe he was just thinking, right, nope, had enough of that. <laughs> Get the ship. Come out here. Get the ship, yeah. We need to escape this. I'm not prepared for this. All those classmates that I killed, it's not helping me here at all. So, are there any other characters that stand out as existing? Seal Bibble. Who's he? 
He's one of the Naboo, Naboo kind of politician guys. I know his name, so I, every time I saw him on screen, I was like, yes, see you, Bibble. There's a Chancellor Valorum, played by General Zod himself. What? Yeah. I'm a yeah. Terrence Stamp. Captain Panaka. I had a, an action figure of him. Why? I don't know. Multipack. Probably. You, you play him as him in the PlayStation game. Yeah, he's boring. There, there's a random cameo from Jabba the Hutt. Oh, yes. yeah, there is. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's a thing, briefly. <laughs> and there's another hut in the background for some reason. Oh, there's like a girl in the background with half a flower head as well. She looks like she's just giving cues for people going on stage. Ben Quadraneros. In yeah. Indiana Jones is in the crowd of the pod race. Pardon? There's a CGI image of Indiana Jones returning to his seat during the pod race. Why is he CGI? Because Harrison Ford wouldn't go anywhere near this. Wait, so Harrison Ford, wait, as himself? Or as Han Solo? It's just Indiana Jones. Indiana... A guy in a jacket and hat. So they took, they stole the Indiana Jones image and put that in the movie? From Lucasfilm, yes. Oh my god! So anything's possible. Yeah, just like those ETs in the Senate. Yeah, that's... Oh god, anything is possible. So I mean, really, they could do that, they could bring him back as Indiana Jones in the future of movies. Versus Peter Cushing versus Carrie Fisher. Like they could legit, they could bring him back. If versus got, If they own all the rights and they own all the characters and stuff. They own everything. They own everything. Indiana Jones is in the movie. Yeah, mind blown, it would seem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that means that... So is the Indiana Jones... Uh, uh, <laughs> what, does this, what does this mean for Indiana Jones What's wrong with his universe? <laughs> it doesn't like, really mean anything. It's just a CGI artifact thrown into the crowd. Yeah, but does this mean then that, like... The, oh, is it the crystal skull that's time travel? <laughs> Does that mean that that works? Yep. Oh my god. Well, it doesn't really mean anything more than in one of the Indiana Jones movies, uh, some hieroglyphics, you can see R2-D2 and C-3PO. Yeah, but basically this means that... Yeah, but that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but that means that he has time travelled, and that also means that Indiana Jones... Is in the same universe as Star Wars. And as E.T., apparently. And as E.T. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like DreamWorks And as Seal Bibble. <laughs> wow, what does this mean for the future of the movies? I don't know. Very little, I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Why do they not do more with that? Think of how amazing a mess they could make everything, but just including... <laughs> Let's get Mickey Mouse in there. Let's bring Indiana Jones back a little bit longer. Well, R2-D2's in Star Trek 2009. Oh, my God. floating about in space. The Millennium Falcon is in first contact. Star so, Trek first contact. So. Well, how come Star Trek don't have anything to do with the people in Star Wars? And how come they're dressed like they're in the future more than Star Wars people? Because it's just animators put A long time ago. That's all I know, but that, it's not... You can't, you know... Serious fans are going to view this as a cameo. They're going to view it as so much more. They're going to be like, wow. That means that, you know, those guys are out in the 
universe somewhere at the same time as them. I don't think the thoughts and opinions of serious Star Wars fans are something you want to look too heavily into. <laughs> are there, is, well, there, is, there, is this a rabbit hole we really want to go down? Well, no, because well. I'm losing like for the Star Wars fandom if they're going to put pressure on people. <laughs> like, in, oh my God, like Indiana Jones. <laughs> Leave him alone. Leave poor Indiana Jones alone to teach him. He just wanted to watch a pod race. Yeah. Are you becoming you that guy that was like, leave Brittany alone? <laughs> he's become the leave Brittany yeah. alone guy. <laughs> now he's finally, he doesn't have to watch it in Dexter Jexter's diner anymore. He can, <laughs> he, he saved up and got himself a ticket to go to the real life pod race. Front seat. He doesn't need to save off if he's got the crystal skull. I think is he had so much money on Sebulba. How <laughs> oh. much money on Sebulba? But he's never getting home then, is he? And then nope. when... Qui-Gon rolled that chance cube to blue. All bets were off. <laughs> what happens if Indiana Jones gets stuck there and if he ever meets Han Solo? Well, as we know from a previous podcast, gummy bears and ducktails exist in the same universe, so all we need is one of those to show up in Star Wars and the whole thing connects. <laughs> I don't know. Is that true? I'm sure there must be gummy bears in the background of the Senate somewhere. Oh, there must. Oh, imagine they were one of the world's representatives. <laughs> bouncing here and there and everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason I decided to mention Valorum is the funniest thing I find about that guy is they brought out an action figure of Chancellor Valorum. Because what, what kid doesn't want their Valorum action figure for their recreation of the Senate scene? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have like Valorum? an amendment bill as his accessory or something? I think it's like a staff or something. Yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> Who's Valorum? My phone is out of battery, so I can't Google it. General Zod. I get, He's the yeah, guy but... that they had a vote of no confidence in. Oh, yeah, and he just like sits down he in just his sits chair. Down, yeah, and oh, well. His head. Ooh, give him a best shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the answer oh. is there are no characters that stand out, they're all rubbish. I don't know, like, I can't go over this Indiana Jones thing. It almost makes me want to watch it again. Nope. But I won't, because that would be tragic. I'll send you a screenshot of where he turns up. Almost being the keyword here. <laughs> Almost. I mean, you only have to watch one scene. It is for literally a second, and it's really hard to see. But it's there. Then what is the point if it's really hard to see? Like, either make it visible for us, or, yeah, yeah, you know. be- Because the people doing the animation for scene found it funny. Yeah. It sounds like, um, do you know, like in baseball matches, when if you've ever seen a baseball match in a movie, and then they show you all the people on the big screen it's almost like do you know it's like the famous people at basketball or baseball and it's like oh we've got Indiana Jones here tonight in the crowd <laughs> <laughs> let's hope they did that we have Professor Henry Jones Jr. in the crowd <laughs> here he that's is his name. space popcorn <laughs> I don't think that's the name he would go by when he's in space who knows oh what if he becomes Han Solo well there is a theory <laughs> no there's not is there actually well, no, because now it can't be true because the theory is that Indiana Jones takes place during Han Solo's carbonite sleep. <laughs> and it's all just a fever dream. But that can't be true. No, That's now be been because Maybe. he shows up. It Maybe. Can't be, yeah. no. Maybe the Phantom Menace is a fever dream of Han Solo in his carbon sleep. Mm. Maybe it's a fever dream of Indiana Jones. Maybe this is all inside Indiana Jones's mind. Inside Indiana Jones's fridge. <laughs> the back. <laughs> Who knows? could be anything that's the could thing about anything. fictional worlds is they're so not real and you yeah. can just do anything 
Yeah, and then people pull them up and say, oh, that doesn't fit with this rule or that rule and get over it. It's have a TV. Ever, have you ever seen the theory that nobody in the Star Wars universe can read? What? Oh, yeah, because everything's yeah. just like huge buttons. Yeah, levers like and huge labels, buttons that aren't labelled. <laughs> That's not true. There's definitely symbols that appear on one of the ships that Anakin's in. Okay, some people can read, but most people can't. What, so a nine-year-old slave boy can read? Or he can understand R2-D2 droid language. But who created that language? Watto had a good slave education program. He put them off. Oh, I mean, we don't know any of that. Who created droid language and stuff. But, like, some people can understand. Yeah. In some Bray and, yeah. Well, do you need books in space? Um... Yeah. Isn't there like I mean, this happened a up? long time ago in a galaxy far away. They've got those Jedi books, haven't they? You do? On that planet, or mm-hmm. whatever it's called. Oh, the secret the text. text. <laughs> <laughs> the secret Jedi text. Read them, have you? No. What if it's just like in <laughs> the best Panda? What if it's just like in Kung Fu Panda where it's all blank? And it's because the secret texts were really in you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. <laughs> That's a Star Wars world I want to live in. Self-belief. And that is part of what the Jedi ethos is all about, about believing in yourself. and Yeah, you are the secret ingredient. Hmm. And being abducted from a young age <laughs> so that you don't form any attachments to anyone. Yeah, I'm with Anakin. Wipe them out. <laughs> well, he's there to restore balance. Except he doesn't. Yeah. Or he wasn't the right boy. Yeah, well, I was took the meaning to be that he brings balance to the Force by facilitating the destruction of both the Jedi and the Sith. Which he doesn't, because Palpatine's still kicking about later on. As we know. Crane-mounted. Crane-mounted. <laughs> I and forgot that he used to be called Sheev. I can't believe that that's the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the good thing about spending 90% of your time wearing a robe. No one knows how old you are. You've not aged well. No. So, the plot, such as it is, I've put in the notes, too political or not political enough. Which is it? I mean, it all starts with a trade dispute, which, again, as I said, I like the idea... Kind of both. (laughs) Yeah, kind of like the idea of something small viraling to the point where the empire is created because people don't notice what's going on until it's too late because... That's basically what's happened in our world, so it's oddly prophetic mm-hmm. in that sense. But, yeah, you don't want to see it when you're an 11-year-old kid or however old you're supposed to be when watching this thing. But I'm not sure how else they could have told that story. I guess it could have been Padme's, like, okay, you go speak to the Senate and I'll fly back to Naboo and kick ass, and then at the end of the film you just hear, oh, look, the Senate meeting went well, I'm in charge now, and everything's going to change. I feel like... When you ask the question, well, I don't see how the story could have gone any other way. I'm just thinking, well, why even have bothered in the first place? Of all the stories that you can tell in the whole world, in the whole universe, that this is the one that they give us. Well, the thing about the original trilogy is it is very much Luke's story. From start to finish, it's three films about Luke Skywalker and about what he becomes and what he helps stop and so on. And there's all this other stuff, political stuff universe-altering stuff happening in the background that you kind of dip into and hear about as you go. But 
that's not what the films are about. I mean, this film's not about anything, but yeah. it spends a lot of time trying to tell you what's going on behind the characters, where you can just get that through people telling them things or them experiencing different things. So Yeah, they could have employed a whole bunch of different ways of relaying any of the information. It's too political because, like what Kat said, it's like both. It's too political because it's not political enough. And also, you don't want that in your... St- like, what is the deal? I don't want to... It's just boring. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just... Uh, I can't even... Like, I'm so bored talking about it. <laughs> what are the, the listeners? We're going to get, like, three listeners who absolutely love this movie and they're going to be like, yes, this is, like, the best movie ever. And I'm just like, oh, God. Hold on. We're going to get three listeners? <laughs> I know. Yeah. When I say three, that's like three Well, you'll mil. download it, I'll download it, and all we need is one more. It's yeah. lockdown now. I watched a man draw for nine hours today. <laughs> I, might, I might do anything. Yeah, but that's probably interesting. Quick, yeah. Angus, talk about a film that you shouldn't have watched when you were a kid so that your mum can listen to it for, <laughs> for choice. Uh-huh. Okay, um, the Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> I should not have watched it. Although I do have a good memory of watching it because I was on holiday and I got to go with my family. Where so were you? We were visiting another family in New York. Oh my God, so you just keep watching mm. Star Wars movies when you're abroad? Yes, it's becoming a tradition. How, How, you? How many have you seen abroad? Uh, probably just two. <laughs> <laughs> but as we know, all you need is two for a tradition. Oh, I feel like going to third <laughs> is like far away that I'm like, that's like going on holiday. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, the hype for this film is out of control. I can't think of anything I've ever looked forward to more than this film. What Back film? In the, this film, Phantom Menace. Back in the day, I just could not wait to see it. Yeah, because you were 10 years old and it's what all of mass media was It was, was the brand you. new Star Wars movie, yeah. yeah. yeah it was I mean, what mass media was telling you you were going to go see. Well, mass media didn't need to tell me. I was already going to go and see it because <laughs> I, I did love the original trilogy. and Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. So I don't actually remember what my initial reaction to it was when I was that age. I remember liking it and then the dislike sort of came later. But I think it just... I don't know, parts of it sort of blew me away when I first saw it. Despite mm. the fact that there's so much of it in the trailer. Like, you can see most of the pod race in various trailers. Mm-hmm. If anyone has made it this far into listening to the podcast, I would be really keen to hear about listeners who have experiences that they remember from seeing Star Wars in the cinema for, like, the first time. So if anyone remembers seeing The Phantom Menace when this first came out in the cinema... How did it make you feel? What do you remember the most? And we'll talk about it on next year's Attack of the Clones. Yeah! I would be keen if anyone has, maybe they were older or, I don't know, they've got like photogenic memories or something. <laughs> if they can remember how they felt when they went to see it, I want to know, like, what? Damn, that memory looks good. <laughs> 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 Photographic memory? Photographic? <laughs> or eidetic memory, I guess. <laughs> there is one thing I remember about that time in my life. Sorry. I remember looking for the action figures, going in Asda, as it was. Shout out. The, the toy aisles, seeing the action figures. And I remember I had the choice to get one action figure before the film came out. So I went for Qui-Gon, because he has a green lightsaber. Oh, you didn't go for Velour? 
Valorum. No, I did not. Although he may have been there. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he was sold out because everybody wanted him. But and I remember at that point Darth Maul was also on the shelf and I chose not to get him for some reason. And then yeah. all I wanted was that action figure and it took months. Upon months. How many cards did you have to, to wash to get that money? None. I mean I remember I was really looking for that action figure and then eventually my gran was in Tesco and saw it. Sure and she had to buy it for me. But this was months later. It's insane. If only I'd got it that day. Because you could get ten Qui-Gons after that. (laughs) (laughs) I have super strong memories of Attack of the Clones more. Especially Obi-Wan versus Django on Kamino. I I remember that being the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. But when I saw that in the cinema. I don't think I remember much. I remember it was a solar eclipse. In 1999, and that was big news. Oh, yeah, I remember standing on my front doorstep and made me pin home. And I'm pretty sure I went to see Star Wars the same day. I think we saw the eclipse and was like, oh, I'll go watch Star Wars now, I guess. That's like the best day to go and see a universe-based movie. Too much excitement for one day. Yeah, too much excitement for one day. <laughs> one of them's watching literally the tiniest insignificant fraction of the sun being covered by the moon because... In England, like this is the most boring element of the eclipse. <laughs> like unless you're looking like Madagascar or very northern Russia or something. It was like otherwise it's like, I oh, don't bother, it's either cloudy or you won't see it. And then go and see Phantom Menace, the world's most beige film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm talking about Attack of the Clones. Although, yeah. like that being said, re-watching this movie, I was really surprised with how well I remembered it. Yeah, it does stick in the brain, doesn't it? Not mine. I am sure I'd seen this before, Several and yeah, I watched it like it was the first time. <laughs> I think I've been cursed now. You remember it because you've seen the memes connected to that, like that specific thing. So you're like, oh, yeah, I remember the meme. <laughs> that is the future. I mean, the surviving meme is there's always a bigger fish, isn't it? That's yeah, there's always a bigger fish. Yeah. I'll try spinning that unique trick. <laughs> 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 no, this is podcasting. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to say that. I wasn't going to be me. I was determined that I wasn't saying that. Oh, it did not occur to me. <laughs> so, Isaac, you talked about an action scene from Attack of the Clones. Stay in your lane. It's next year. Yeah. So, what about the set pieces in this? I mean, there aren't that many of them. There's that fight I talked about at the start where Qui-Gon tries to take down a door and he doesn't succeed. I'm not, I really enjoyed... Maul versus Qui-Gon Jinn the first time in the desert. That's quite a, a cool little battle. Where he just jumps off his like little speeder motorbike thingy. Yeah. And goes cloak on and everything. It's just a one lightsaber sort of ambush. I think I watched it. I watched this like just on the weekend, but it's kind of fading away. But that seems to go on for like, a decent while, but it probably only goes on for like 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a short fight, yeah. But it's just because it's like surrounded by not much that... <laughs> it's like you go from oh yeah stabbing the blast door that's either pod, ca- pod race or that fight whichever came first I think the pod race came first then that then that, then that like, and you kind of like blank out all the middling conversations and stuff bits of the film I remember basically can really zone out during the conversation there's one thing about it that really stood out to me on this viewing because the prequel era gets known for horrible CGI and stuff but I was surprised at just how much of this film had actual practical props and effects. So the pod racers, they're all, or a lot of them are built. You know, you can see the scuffing on the paint and things like that. 
Yeah, and original Yoda was a puppet before they replaced yeah. it. And they film outside occasionally, which is something they do less and less in the subsequent films. It's because they're in space. I think so many of the locations don't even feel like they're there, though, and they, they don't feel alive either, so when they're yeah. walking around the town in Tatooine, they interact with one or two things, but everything else just looks like it could be... They press play on the background action, and it's just like aliens walking about. Yeah. Doesn't really look like they're there. So many of the sets just look the same, you know. Mm. Probably looked quite good at the time, but I think now it's just I kind of was noticing that in almost every scene that they were in, where it was computer generated, how bad it looked, or how there was sort of no interaction with the background. Well, the the palace of Enfield was quite ornate. It looked good. Yeah, it looked just like in Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, I guess. Kind of Lord of the Rings esque. Yeah. And the big fight scene with all the droids and, and George are our favourite. Looks just like Black Panther <laughs> and you know, Circle of Life. Disney. Symbiote Circle. It's Symbiote yeah. Circle, yeah. Yeah. So I'm surprised at how many practical things I mean they weren't used very well, but they were there, which is Something. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like you can't say it's something. It's like if they're not used well, it's like why bother having them at all? Well, someone was commissioned to build these things and put them mm. together and then point a camera at them. Well, I've got nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you think of the pod race? Was that a good sequence? For me, I didn't need it to be all three laps. It's just too long. Yeah, it's far too long. It's a whole yeah. race. Yeah, well, it seemed to me that the whole point of it being there was the realisation that very little action had actually taken place throughout the film up to that point. So they actually needed this, this like a big hypocritic set piece to stop people from actually getting bored while they're watching it. But then, as you say, like, it goes on for too long and everything that happens in it could have easily been condensed down into far less time. And there's the announcer that just tells you everything that has just happened, which is the job of an announcer during a race, but we're already watching it. Did they get one wage or two? That's a good question. Because they're two brains, maybe. They're probably a Jabba slave and don't get paid at all. Photogenic brains. (laughs) (laughs) I resent that. I think the pod race, yeah, it goes on too long, but it's one of the sort of special effects scenes that works the best because you aren't really seeing people and it is basically just a big cartoon so it was a bit where the effects worked the best and I think it's probably one of only two action scenes that are noteworthy at all so the pod race which goes on too long and then the final lightsaber battle which is also exciting I don't think that the the droid versus Gungan battle is all that interesting so yeah I found myself before we were watching this my sort of thoughts on the pod race were it's one of the boring parts because it goes on too long. But I was actually finding that it was one of the more entertaining parts because it looked better than the rest of it. And there was actually some action going on rather than people walking around a dusty town and talking about things that I had no interest in. (laughs) Also, a problem is it's supposed to set up that Anakin's a really good pilot. But everyone in Star Wars is really good anyway. Because even in the original and sequel trilogies, there's no one's bad at flying. So I guess Anakin's good at flying over his pod race or whatever, but so is Luke and Han Solo and Rey and Poe Dameron and Obi-Wan Kenobi and everyone else. So it's kind of difficult to have a gauge of, oh, this guy's got exceptional flying skills, and he just looks like 
like the same as literally everybody. It's like kind of like gauging how good people are driving when it's in a residential area where you can't do too much. <laughs> Everyone's doing the exact same thing. So it's like, how can you tell if that's good piloting or just generic Star Wars piloting? Well, Obi-Wan's always talking about how tough a pilot he is, but he's one of the best. Yeah, he still outruns Django. And, <laughs> well, I suppose because the problem is there's no situation where you could get him away. In two is, yeah, he's been chased by Django, so he has to be good to evade him. And in three, it's like... In a space battle, if you're bad, you die. We're like World War One. They kind of have Obi-Wan Kenobi be a bad pilot. He kind of gets annoyed at it, but it'd be good or die. Yeah. Like, there's not an option to be like, oh yeah, he's just average, because you'll just get immediately shot down by like a trillion <laughs> droid tri fighters. So, yeah. that's a problem where you can't leave. But he doesn't do anything specifically exceptional, except yeah. for when he blows up the donut shit, I guess. But it's hard to tell how much of it is luck. Uh, or the fourth, or talent. The thing that I wonder about the pod race is, is everybody competing in it, the people that survived the leading up races? <laughs> because not everybody dies, but all the pods are destroyed apart from Anakin. Yeah, there I are kinda, people that definitely die. I imagine it's like, what they called in America, though, oh, demolition derby. <laughs> But just a bit more like hyper violent. Yeah, I love that over like, overcompensating the guy at the beginning with the four huge engines. He just immediately just breaks down and explodes, and everyone just cheers. <laughs> Obviously, that's what no one's there to see any of the, the pilots survive. They just want to see explosions. <laughs> and Anakin manages to be a lap behind and still win somehow. Everyone else is dead. It's a winner by default. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It'd have been better wager to be like, I bet all my money that no one survived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Odds are two to one. Okay, you'll get you'll get like a tiny bit of money back. Yeah. The pod race is a weird one because it serves a plot function in the sense that it gets the, the materials they need to fix the ship, but you don't need all three laps. I also wonder why Qui-Gon just didn't try and trade the ship that's kind of broken for one that's maybe less fancy but still works. That would be easier. You can have this ship, you just need to fix it. I want your crappy one. Well done. It's a Jedi ship though, so apparently no, it's not. It's a Jedi ship. It's a Naboo ship. Well, I don't know. It's a Nubian cruiser or something. <laughs> well, what are they doing with it? It's they Naboo came from Naboo. <laughs> they just gave them the ship so that they can leave, but that was kind of it. Yeah. So they take ships, they take boys. What well, else the queen, they do? The queen was on the ship too. Oh, I forgot about her. <laughs> I forgot about her. The one action sequence you didn't mention, Angus, when you were listing them, was the <laughs> nameless pilots getting shot down in, the, in space action sequence. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. There's no one in this we care about. Nope. <laughs> I mean, there's no one in the other ones we care about, I suppose, but definitely well, nobody in those ones. R.I.P. Porkins. Porkins. <laughs> That's weird. I do like the Naboo Starfighter, though. That's cool shit. And there was the Star Wars Starfighter game on the PlayStation 2 that was pretty good. Yeah, I think the ships of the prequels are well designed. I think one of the weaker things in the sequel trilogy is it's just x and TIE Fighters again. Whereas at least in these ones, there were different silhouettes and yeah, there's the TIE Fighter and what do you call it, the droids. They're called Vulture Droids, those sort of four-pronged ones that then could like, walk on the wings were cool. At least stuff kind of looked different and... But there was a bit of an evolution, and it comes to our because everything kind of evolves throughout the prequels into the, like they make the Archon 70 with its S-foil wings and the yeah. the V fighter and stuff. So I think like yeah, design of 
other ships and the clone Star Destroyers and etc. Everything looks more interesting than in the sequels where it's just the same ships again. Yeah. So we've been through the majority of the film. We've laughed. We've cried. We've broken the universe by bringing Indiana Jones into it. So there's a larger question here. And I think the sequel trilogy has reignited this debate as well in really interesting ways. Is this film as bad as everybody says it is? Yeah, well, I think a major facet of that argument is that the initial reputation it garnered for being an absolutely atrocious film was on account of 40-year-old Star Wars fans going to see it and expecting it to instill in them the same sense of awe and wonder as when they were five, which is a completely unreasonable expectation for anything, regardless of whether it's Star Wars. And because it wasn't this unattainable paragon of cinematic perfection that they presumed it, it would be, it wasn't therefore terrible. Hashtag not my Star Wars. What's this exactly. hashtag mean? What's 1999? <laughs> I think what people are trying to do is they're trying to make a statement rather than actually making anything that's qualifiable by saying that the prequels are now great because the sequel trilogy is crap. And you can have your issues with the sequel trilogy, Lord knows I do, but I don't think it makes the prequels good. And I don't think this film becomes good as a result of the fact that The Rise of Skywalker is, in my opinion, bad. I don't think this is objectively or subjectively a better film than Rise of Skywalker because it's not. It's poorly made. It's just not very good at all. But one thing about it is... For me, The Rise of Skywalker feels like a box-ticking exercise from J.J. Abrams trying to ram as much fan service down our throats as humanly possible. Whereas this film was George Lucas running with an idea, having no one stop him, and he got to make exactly the kind of film he wanted. And I think there's something kind of commendable about that, especially in a film of this size and scale. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, I d- I disagree with. The, I mean, you know, this isn't the Rise of Skywalker podcast, so like, I don't want to launch that conversation. But I disagree about that. And in any case, I don't think that comparing the two necessarily makes the Phantom Menace any better. No, what I'm basically mm-hmm. saying is that George Lucas made the film that he exactly wanted to make. I mean, it's not good. But there are many <laughs> filmmakers can say that. Plenty. Like, probably quite a few, actually. Yeah. I mean, I, on, yeah. on a film of this uh, yeah, scale. Yeah, quite a few. You know, yeah. a franchise yeah. film of this scale. It's probably done, honestly, yes. all the time. And then everyone will talk about, like, Taika how crap it was. <laughs> yeah, but like, even he would have had to make some concessions. Mm, I don't know. I think, let's not narrow it down, because at the moment I don't have anyone that I've researched or can think of off the top of my head, but this isn't a unique situation for Lucas and it's not a unique situation, I think, for this movie and it doesn't make me think it's commendable. I still think it's a really shit movie. (laughs) I think part of the issue is that no one had any courage to tell him that it was crap. They probably all thought it was really good, though, at the time. Like, they probably, each person's probably like, oh, this is actually class and people are going to love this you know they were probably so excited because they thought it's you know it's the end of the 90s they can do all of these like cool fun things and it's just it hasn't aged well I didn't I don't remember seeing it when it came out so I don't have those memories of thinking it was great then either but it's just 
I don't know. I don't want to give it too much credit for saying it's commendable that he did it all by himself and well done for that. Because it's why would you clap someone for delivering a turd? <laughs> <laughs> I have some respect for the fact that someone in a franchise, but it wasn't quite a franchise film landscape at that point, can just essentially make the film that they want because. Do you think that he did, though? Or do you think that so many people who were involved in that distanced themselves from the movie? No, because he, they absolutely, were like... he absolutely made exactly the film that he wanted. Um, if you watch like the special features on a DVD, if you still have it, you see a lot of people standing around just as he's waffling on about stuff, just kind of frightened to say anything. Hmm. So, I mean, you get like, the sound designers and stuff. They, they had a great time because they got to make quad racing sounds and things. But... I think there's other people that are involved in different parts of production who have said since we should have said something but didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's their get it clause. I mean, that's how they keep their careers and stuff. If you, I mean, it's not that bad. It's not like as terrible as making it out to be, but it's far away from a good movie. It's a confused storyline. It's overly complicated. We don't have anyone really that we're rooting for other than the really annoying little kid. And it plays on us having the original trilogy, which is fine, and it should, but it's not what you want it to be, I don't think, as a viewer. I didn't, you know, in an interview. I'm with Natalie on this. I definitely don't like it, and this will probably be the last time I ever watch it. I don't have any reason to ever watch it again. We've done the podcast. It's the end. Never need to watch <laughs> ever again. It's amazing. So yeah, I, that makes me kind of a little bit sad thinking I'll never. Well, no, also I'm happy. <laughs> a little bit sad. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not a good film. I also don't think it's better than the sequel trilogy because that's just objectively wrong. Why are you comparing it to that? I don't Because think so many be. people do. I think that's. Why must you? Do you think that it, it should be compared with the, the later. Well, I think within a franchise, it's only natural to compare films in that franchise to so, other films in that franchise. So, out of all of the movies in the franchise, where do you rate this one? Well, that's an interesting question. I wish I'd thought about that. So, Empire Strikes Back is first, then probably Last Jedi. No, like, what's at the bottom? At the bottom? Attack where of does Clones. This, okay. <laughs> so where does this one sit? Above it? Somewhere above Attack of the Clones. Sideways to it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's hovering near the bottom, okay. I guess. But not your not not your least favorite. No, I actually prefer this one to Revenge of the Sith. See, I'm sure I've seen these ones, but I will need reminded when we do your podcasts. Like I'll need to watch it because I have no my memory's shot. Anyway, that'll be a new adventure for me. But it's so photogenic. <laughs> do you know what? It probably is. <laughs> You can revisit Revenge of the Sith when you revisit Alien Resurrection. Oh no! Is that number? Is that number three or four? Four. Four. Okay. Oh no! I don't. Don't ever speak your name again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Interesting. Yeah. So, Kat, do you think this is as bad as people think it is, or people say it is? I don't know what the sort of scale is. Well, what do they say? How bad do they say it is? Well, it, it sort of depends when you look at the scale. If you look at the scale before the sequel trilogy came out, this was the worst thing that was ever made. And now, depending where you fall, no, I don't think trilogy, it's as bad. The third of the prequels is my least favorite of that. I think it's garbage. 
and it ugh, I hate it. I hate it so much, and every time I've seen it, I've hated it more. So in comparison, Phantom Menace is the fine. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah, I I can't stand it. So in comparison, this one is fine. It's the sort of thing I can pop in the background and like not really care. Whereas, is it Return of the... Revenge. No, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I just can't stand it like in any way, shape or form. So I don't know. Like I say, it's just kind of fine. If people hate it so much that they're like, oh, this is the worst... No, I don't think it's as bad as that. But that does not a good movie make, so... No. <laughs> Shrug. <laughs> this probably wasn't even the worst film released in 1999. Oh, for sure not. I wonder what was. I will look that up and answer it on another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> or what I think was the worst film of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac, do you think this is as bad as people say it is, or compared to the rest of the trilogy, compared to the sequel trilogy, compared to anything? Yeah, I think it's hard to not judge Star Wars films based on other ones. Personally, yeah. I've put it as it's second worst. It's second worst with Rogue One as the worst. Quite easy to please, and I like the Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones, and I like the sequel trilogy and the original trilogy, but this one's just hard work, this one. <laughs> it's like a video game tutorial. It's just like... I don't know. It's just a, it's a really sort of slow start. It, it's not engaging, and it's, it doesn't grip you and get you into the world. It doesn't get you excited because it. I think they kind of assumed that they wouldn't need to do that. I guess they were like, "Oh, people like the originals. They like Jedi. They like you know Star Wars stuff. So we don't have to put too much effort into like, bringing them back in." But they really needed to because it's just a sand planet, and then Tunisia, and then was well, it Jedi Temple and Coruscant? It's just like a, a big office building and. <laughs> It doesn't work. I think they were relying too much on like, yeah, the old fans. The old fans will be back into it and they'll be excited and nostalgia and stuff. But it doesn't do enough to like bring anyone in to like get excited for the next one. So I think it does kind of, as an opening movie, it just fail. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. It doesn't do any of the stuff that the original trilogy does, especially the first one where it's like, this is the Force, this is what a mind trick is, here's a lightsaber. It just assumes that you know exactly how this universe works and... You and watches you into like the most boring aspect of like the of the place. How disappointing it must have been to have been an original fan and then to see this movie. I don't know. I think a lot of people were deluded by the fact that yeah, okay, I thought it was a bit slow, but maybe I just need more time with it to really appreciate it. And I've heard people say that that they thought that at the time on other podcasts that I might have listened to. And they came out and been like, Well, oh, there's something about that that's not right. I must watch it like six other times and then mm. figure out what that was. And the Simpsons parodied it with Galaxy Wars or whatever it was they called it. And comic book guy comes out, he's like, worst movie ever. I'm only going to watch it six more times today. (laughs) (laughs) And I think there was a lot of that going on at the time where people were like, I can't pinpoint why I didn't engage with this. I must be thinking about it wrong. It's like we said earlier, but Mm -hmm. it's a good point, Isaac. Yeah, it's the first film I can remember in my lifetime of the hype train because I remember the world was nuts when that was coming out and it was everywhere and every show was talking about oh yeah singing I don't know I'm not sure like what films before that would have had that same buzz around them going in no Toy Story not to that extent also was Toy Story after Phantom Menace no it was before I think it was about 1995 or something yeah something like that I thought it was after I thought it was Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't know what Star Wars is, you know what the Phantom Menace is because it was. I remember like 
between like 1998 and 1999. It was the second coming of Jesus. It was everywhere. I remember the little crappy plastic statues you could get in cornflakes packets that had little scrolls in them. Oh yeah, I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the Blue Peter make your own Jar Jar Binks hat. <laughs> it was essentially, you get two sort of beige socks. You just get them to like, <laughs> on like a cardboard cut out at the back and you use a hairband or whatever. I am so sad that they don't do that for cereal anymore. That <laughs> used to dictate what I would pick, mm. for sure. And then your parents are pouring out the cereal in the morning and it's like, is it today? Is it coming out today? Oh, yeah. Oh. It's cheating to go digging through the box looking for it. Yeah, but sometimes you would. Before your sister got up in the morning and you'd be like, I'll just place it near the top so that when I pour it, she can see that... Oh, it's just appeared in my bowl. It chose you. <laughs> Sorry, Ashley. <laughs> ah, the late nineties again. Complacent. We're waiting to be kicked out of it. Now we can't have toys and cereal anymore. I know. So good. I'm actually so good about that. Put your own toy in your cereal, Craig. You're in your thirties now. You're a grown man. Do what buy you want. Your, buy your own small toy and then put it in your own cereal. So when you so when you forget about it, like two weeks later, when you finish your cereal, there's a toy at the end. <laughs> Isaac, but we shouldn't have to buy our own. <laughs> that defeats the purpose. It should be provided for us. We're in the age of washing your hands and staying six metres away. I would very much not like someone to put toy in my cereal, thank you. <laughs> I will put my own disinfected toy into my cornflakes. Okay, fine. So in five tokens on the back of the packs and send them away. But you have to wait Get until your you're finished, otherwise the cereal will finished. go everywhere. <laughs> this oh. is tense. okay so let's do some closing thoughts why not andrew what is your closing thought my biggest closing thought is essentially reiterating one of your previous ones in that i'm glad i can't conceive of any reason i will need to watch this film again (laughs) and also i'm kind of glad that that i have now watched it from a more mature perspective and I'm able to properly see it for how truly mediocre it actually is. That's about it, really, yeah. But at least we got Clone Wars, so it's not too bad. That's true, yes. Angus, what are your closing statement? I think this is as bad as people think. It deserves the panning that it took from us and from everyone that's seen it since 1999. I thought I enjoyed it as a kid, you know, I have fond memories of going to the cinema and seeing it and all the hype and the build up and all the stuff we've been talking about you know so i have happy memories related to it (laughs) maybe not just related to watching it (laughs) i was confused by it when i was a kid thinking that you know i should be enjoying this more because it should have all the ingredients that i like in it i think it probably has more memorable imagery the double lightsaber the poster of anakin with the shadow of vader cast behind him that kind of stuff i've got more fond memories of than actually watching it and yeah i suppose the good news is i don't have to watch it again because (laughs) there's no reason to and but will you i don't know if i will but i'm not gonna rule it out now there's always lockdown scenarios where you need to watch all the star wars movies in a row (laughs) your remote will run out of battery and it's on tv yeah um (laughs) it's perfectly fine to not enjoy it and if you don't enjoy it don't watch it and i probably won't for a long time (laughs) Yeah, this podcast has been a cleanse. We're all free. We'd never have to watch this again. And we know that. That gives us power. Sure. Oh, and uh, finally, I think I'm going to carve a Japur snippet and hide it in Natalie's cereal. (laughs) That's romantic. (laughs) That's my favorite.
<laughs> Fair enough. Natalie, what is your final thought? It's funny because every time we get to this point in a podcast, I realise how much I seem to have hated a movie. And even <laughs> if I start a podcast thinking, yeah, it was all right, or yeah, it was good, by the end of a podcast, I'm always like, oh, that was terrible. <laughs> I don't know why. I think I'm just a little bit negative. That's a surprise um, to be sure, but a welcome one. <laughs> I I don't know. It's, it, mm, meh, I look, yeah, it's... It's less than fine, but I feel bad saying anything else about it because I'm tired. I feel like I've already spoken too much about it. Pleased that Indiana Jones is in there. Got it, I missed it. Gonna go through that and then search online for the 1,001 other possibilities that this could mean for the universe. Well, at least it's giving you some focus. A little bit of... Homework. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say hope, but no, I'm a bit like... Why do I keep doing this? <laughs> when I know I just end up hating the movies like more. Fair enough. Kat, what's your closing remarks? Closing remarks, I would say, listen folks, this isn't the best installment, but it's Star Wars, and at the end of the day, there's something deeply fun about the world of Star Wars that exists in this. And since we're recording this to celebrate Star Wars Day during a year where things are quite difficult, at the end of the day, what I have to say is may the fourth be with you. Profound. And may you spend your Star Wars Day watching better Star Wars than this. <laughs> quite. <laughs> Isaac, closing remark? I'm going to go with it gets better. At least now we can get to the better films now. It's just having to get over that hurdle to get to the good ones. But it's not a good one. It's pretty accurate. It's general negative response. It's not quite accurate. This is a slog, this one. But at least now we can sort of move on to the entertaining ones. Perhaps, yes. Yep, echoing what everyone's kind of already said, it's not a good film. I did find it interesting watching it through the lens of living in the time that we live in and realising it was made just before that time started and is kind of about that time starting in a very, very small way. It also is connected to Men in Black and The Matrix in that way, which made me think of better films when I was watching it, so that was nice. Some of the video games that came out after this, such as Episode 1 Racer, Starfighter and some other ones, pretty good. We get Darth Maul in The Clone Wars. He's much better used there. Yeah, it's not very good. So, I'm just glad that we've had this cleanse. We're, we're <laughs> spiritual on to cleanse. A spiritual cleanse. We're through the... I don't think it's the worst of it, but we're through one of the bad <laughs> ones. And next year we'll continue on in our pilgrimage through the prequels, but for now, we're free of the Phantom Menace. We just have the spectre of Attack of the Clones hanging over us for, until next year. On to the droid factory. On to the droid factory, yeah. <laughs> But yes, Star Wars Day, it's a day worth celebrating. So spend your day watching something that isn't this. So now we're going to go off and to our respective member states of the Senate and do stuff, cause trouble for our people. But Andrew, thank you for being here. Fairly well. Angus, thank you for being here and saying some Star Wars names that I didn't know before. Yeah, it's been emotional. It's been therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, to some degree. See you again next year. Yeah. Natalie, thanks for being here. You're welcome. For your photogenic memory. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me as always. Kat, thanks for joining us on this cleanse, this meditation. On Thank you, and may the force be with you. And also with you. And also with you, yeah. Isaac, thank mm-hmm. you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And to everyone out there, stay safe, stay apart, stay Jedi'd. And may the force be with me. <laughs> and also with you. Well, there it is. We made it through the Phantom Menace. A special thanks to YouTuber Kenny Mac Composer for his cover of Jewel of the Fates and 331 E-Rock for his cover of the Star Wars End Credits theme. If you like what you heard here, then subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, please do leave us a review and comment. If you want to talk The Phantom Menace, Star Wars, or anything else, then hit us up on Facebook and Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod. Stay safe, stay apart, and may the Force be with you, always.